Yes. It's been two weeks to the day since the finale aired, mm-hmm. and we've had a lot of time to think yep. and come to grips with the fact that this is the end, probably, mm-hmm. uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, how do you feel now that you've... It, yes. it, took, it took you a while to it watch did. to watch the finale again. Yes, so. I watched it a week later. And I think it was longer it was than a week difficult. later, yeah, it? Was, maybe it was the Monday after, so a week and a day, and it was it was tough. It was not... Not an easy experience. Um, although, yes, as many people have said online and elsewhere, it is easier to watch the second time around. Third time, I imagine, is even easier after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it still still feels a little... There's a little hollow place in my heart where uh, Twin Peaks The Return used to be, for sure. So how about you? How are you feeling after two weeks? I feel great. I really do. <laughs> I do. I think um, the more I talk about it with other people and the more I think about it... Um, and I've had some weird dreams about it. I just, I feel like it, it, I'm at a place now where I'm, I've accepted what we've been given as something really beautiful. And as much as I, as I, you know, chafe against some of the characterizations and things that I've written about for 25 years later and what, that we kind of touched on in our, in our previous hot take episode, um, and which we'll talk about here today. Um, I still think that it was absolutely the perfect way to wrap up uh, the previous 16 hours and make this like a complete thing for yeah. us to have. Yeah. And I'm, I'm tremendously impressed with what it is and what we've been given. There's very little that I would change about any of it. It's the same way that I feel about season two of Twin Peaks, you know? You wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't. No, I literally would not change a single thing. Okay. Because it's it's part of that whole experience, and I think Mm -hmm. that's that's the important thing that we that we walked away from our hot take episode realizing, and what we talked about in that episode as well was that it's this experience is what's valuable Mm -hmm. more so than anything necessarily that that's contained within it. Yeah. And there's reasons for that. I think that we'll get into. You know. the subjective experience of the viewer and what we're bringing to the to the table when we watch it is just as important as what the filmmakers and the artists behind this, the the scenes have put out there for us. Sure. So I, I, I'm just I'm just tremendously impressed. That's that's a long way of saying. Yep. I really. Yep. I really have enjoyed You've it. Enjoyed it quite a bit. That's, a lot. That's good. As as I think we all suspected you would. Um, but yeah, no, definitely. I, I was surprised that you took so long. You're not usually a very sensitive, emotional guy. What? You're not. Did you ever watch me watch The West Wing? I'm just in tears half the episodes. Okay, that's true. But The West Wing <laughs> is your favorite TV show. Yeah, exactly. And this no, is I, I guess second, I guess so. what I mean is that I I was not expecting you to be so. Um, like closed off to the idea of watching it. Like you were actively angry at me 
when I watched it before you did, and I was like, let's watch it again. And you were mad that I was asking you to watch it. Like, you just I didn't were want not to. ready. I was, no, I was not ready. I, and that just shocked me. Like, I've known you for 15 years, and I've never seen you react to a, a piece of art that way, where you just, you shunned it. Like, you completely closed down. You, you wouldn't read about it. You no, weren't. I was done. Yeah. I, I, it just surprised me. Well, sorry. I'm no, not, don't. I, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, is that something that you've, that you've experienced and I just have been blissfully unaware well, of? Or? Rarely with a, rarely with a TV series, occasionally with a movie or a book, I will have a similar kind of reaction where I just need to like, I just need to decompress from it. I need to give myself time to just, you know, sit and just absorb everything about it. Yeah. Um, Especially if the ending kind of comes in with that sucker punch. Um, yeah. Like, can you think of another example? Uh, I remember reading when I was like, I think I was 17 and I read Catch-22 for the first time and I got to the ending and I was just like, wow, this is, this is an amazing <laughs> thing about death, you know, and the chaos of war and, and all this stuff. And I just, I remember closing the book and just just sitting there for like half an hour, just like I, I wasn't moving. Um, and I've, I think I've only reread it once since then, um, but it had a very similar effect. Hmm. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's when something is so, it, it gets to a part of you that that most stories and most storytelling mediums uh, just don't. They, they, they guide you along uh, an expected path and you follow along with that, knowing what's coming each step along the way. And with this, with Catch-22, there's been a few other things I can't really think of right now, but um, yeah, a few other things throughout my my explorations of storytelling. Uh, they've had a similar effect, and it's it's very, it's a unique thing. It's when I can tell I really love something, for sure. So even though you, you struggled with this, and you did, like you, you had... No, I didn't. No, I mean, <laughs> you did. You, Define struggle, because well, I... You, you walked around in, in kind of a haze for about two or three days afterwards. Like, yeah. you kept coming up to me and saying, when will this end? Yes, we you, talked about this after We did, I know, episode, and they yeah. kept going for like, it was Tuesday or Wednesday, and we were still kind of depressed about yeah. it. And, and so even though you had that experience, you still think that this is... I think that's what makes it so good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is the fact that it can hit you on, on a level that most, even, even like the West Wing, I don't, after I'm finished the episode, I'm just like, oh, that was good. And then I just walk away. Right. right. I can't, I couldn't do that with this. I yeah. can, I, really, really great art pushes that beyond just an initial catharsis. There's, yeah. there's something beyond that, that, um, it pulls at something new that mm-hmm. you didn't know you had inside you mm-hmm. when you, when you watch it and when you experience it. And this definitely had that because I've, I've seriously, I've never had that particular feeling from a work of art where I'm just like depressed mm-hmm. <laughs> and I cannot fathom how I, I arrived at this point and I'm, and I've traced my steps each step along the way back and I still don't know how I got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the feeling of like this hollow feeling of just all these unresolved things that I wanted to be resolved, um, but weren't. Um, and yet I felt like the important things kind of were, mm. and yet maybe they weren't. And it was all up to me to kind of knit the pieces together. Right. And that, that's an amazing feeling that, that this had that nothing else ever has had for me. Right. Yeah. And that, that leads into the first thing that I wanted to talk about was just the fan reaction in general mm-hmm. um, to the finale. Because I think there's a lot of people, there are a lot of people who are reacting the way that you and I have where you take a step back and it takes a little while and you eventually come to appreciate it as something 
uh, greater than maybe the sum of its parts would lead you to believe it could be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people really loved it right out of the gate and have been very vocal supporters of this as, um, you know, the best that Lynch has to offer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people are very, very vocally upset about this to this day. So, and I think that will continue for a long time that that there are a lot of very vocal detractors. Um, And it's interesting because this was something that you wanted to talk about in our hot take episode uh, we didn't get to it, but now, you know, two weeks later, are you still like, are you tapped into that still, Aiden? Or, or, or is it kind of like, are you seeing fan reactions falling into those categories or are they, is there more to it now? Is well, there, I, is it tempered somehow? Now I think, that time's yeah, passed, there's or? been a couple people who have had similar experiences to, to what we've had, which is maybe some initial distaste or distrust of it. And then slowly warming up to the ending. I think that's in my mind, that's that's obviously because that's the reaction I've had. I think it makes the most sense. Yeah. But I think the people who really hate it, they've just kind of dropped off. It was kind of you like... You think, hey? Yeah, I think they were like online and, you know, I'm just... I'm mostly on Facebook and Twitter uh, for the most part. So in those two mediums, before the series even started, there were people who were like, oh, I love Twin Peaks. And mm. then some of those people were like, I hate this new series. It's crap. Why is it slow and nothing's happening? Right. Nothing's making sense right. and all this. And those people probably stopped watching and perhaps dropped off the internet as well. Uh, and I feel like if you didn't like the ending, you're not going to continue to partake in the community online. If the war- if the ending never warms up for you, you're just going to say, yeah, I didn't like it and leave. And, and we had that with your brother, who yes. is Nathan, who has appeared on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, we he, say that every time we talk yeah, about yeah. Well, just turn mind. Just a reminder. <laughs> the only one of my brothers who's yeah, been on the show. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, he, we met him for dinner and he absolutely hated the ending. He's yeah. like, I'm done with it. I'm, I, I hate it. Yeah. He was just completely finished. So he didn't want to talk about it. We were coming up, we were explaining all our theories that we'll get to later on. And he was just like, yeah, that's nice for you people that overthink about it. But I'm just, <laughs> I, I wanted to watch it and I didn't like it. Yeah. And I feel like what's, that's possible. What's yeah. interesting about that though, I remember that conversation and, and I, I, brought it up with him because he is he is a big David Lynch fan. He likes every single one of David Lynch's films that he's seen. Mm-hmm. Um even Inland Empire, which I mean surprised me because it seems like a kind of inaccessible film, but he he seemed to get it and really enjoy it from the beginning. So I really thought as we got through the return that he would warm mm-hmm. up to it. And I asked him this, I'm going to ask you this as well. Um that divide that we talked about, I think uh early on before maybe even before the return started that there's David Lynch fans and there are Twin Peaks fans. And in that Venn diagram, there's, there's not a lot that, that kind of, well, some, there are some who who do overlap, but but I think that you, you were going to get fewer people who are Twin Peaks fans liking the return than you would David Lynch fans liking the return. Right. I think as a general rule, and I talked to Joel Bacco about this last weekend and, and he said, yeah, as a general rule, I think that's probably the case. Mm So it was interesting to me that Nathan, as a David Lynch fan, couldn't get behind this. So I think it speaks to something about the um, the nature of Twin Peaks as an entity itself, mm-hmm. which is now the largest work that I mean, it was always. Yeah, in terms in, of just in hours terms of hours put, put into, yeah, put into yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, now we're looking at something like fifty hours total that David Lynch has spent in mm-hmm. Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's a whole; it's an entity unto itself now. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, think that, I think that's fair. I mean, we, we'll talk more about how this fits in with the whole David Lynch world, uh-huh. <laughs> his multiple worlds, perhaps, um, later on. So we can we can discuss that then. But absolutely, I think in terms of fan reaction, 
there was always that that hardcore Twin Peaks uh, peakies who just you know they, they want love, the coffee and the, they pie, want the coffee and the pie, Audrey and dancing exactly. And, and when you get hints of that throughout, and then the ending does not provide that, yeah, uh, definitely you can you can see why that would piss people. But off. it also I, I'm going to push back a little bit on this idea that the people who hated it have dropped off because I, I do know that there are a few very vocal people that I've um, that I've seen who are still tweeting and participating in conversations who just can't get behind it yet. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a testament to them still struggling with it or if they're just being belligerent. But um, it it feels like there there are people who, even though they, they very much disliked what they saw, mm-hmm. they are going to continue struggling with it to understand it. And there was a fantastic Twitter thread that I posted to my personal Twitter, not to Bickering Peaks today. Um, Matt Zoller cites in... Uh, response to some people who are angry about the film Mother, that the 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 Hollywood Reporter put out a, an article that said, if you need to Google search the meaning of the movie when you get home, it was a failure, and that that we should be spoon fed the things that we are uh, exposed to as art, and that it should be easily understandable. Otherwise, it's it's a failure, mm-hmm. and and Matt pushed back on this, saying that it's. Uh, a failure of our education system. It's a failure of, of what we're teaching our children and what we're... Ex- it's a failure of how we respond to art. Art shouldn't be handed to you on a plate with a note that explains it all. And this comes comes to the fore in Twin Peaks as well in The Return because um, this whole conversation about Zhao Day and whether explanation is actually the thing that ruins everything mm-hmm. because um, it good art, like you said, should should make you question things it Mm. should it should light a fire underneath you and and you should engage with it in some way and i think that there's even if you hated it even if you really really disliked it or didn't understand it and you hate it because because you didn't understand it the the process of engaging with it is still valuable and that's still necessary and i think that's what some people that i know are are trying to do so um it's not maybe it's not so much that they hate it and they're going to leave and, and never come back. But maybe it just takes a little while to well, grapple with and it. I think there's there's kind of two points to that. One is I don't really like the ending still. Right. Um, I appreciate it to, to an extent, but I still feel like it wasn't earned. Um, this is something I'd kind of written about uh, a little bit. This is something I talked about a little bit with um, Matt from 25 years later. Yeah. Um, he sent out a, a quick questionnaire about, you know, the reactions to the finale. And and I wrote that um, the endings, it, it, it very much mirrors uh, Mulholland Drive and that mm. there's, there's a twist at the end that, you know, basically jumps into a different reality. Um, and it works really well in Mulholland Drive because every aspect of the Diane Selwyn dream, which is the first three quarters of the movie or so, um, ties up to something in the last quarter. Right. To make it feel like that was a dream and everything from the dream had a grounding in reality. And Mm -hmm. and the two went back and forth. It was Mm -hmm. a little dialogue between the two parts of the movie. The Return does not have that. The Return has Cooper and Carrie Page after a weird sex thing with Diane in another, in a medium world. They're in a third world all of a sudden um, going to find uh, the Palmer household. Um, And it's not really clear 
And it's not, it's not only just not clear, it's not in any way connected to anything that we saw in the first 16 hours. Yeah. There is nothing except for the Red Room sequences. Well, and and I mean the Palmer House and like the familiarity that we have with the Twin Peaks that they enter at the end. Yes. And, and, and and that is, that is good um, in that it gives us enough that we can work with still. Um, But it's not, it doesn't feel as integral to... Uh, the first 16 hours don't feel as integral to the last right. hour and a half as they did for uh, Mulholland, Mulholland Drive, Drive as, yeah, yeah. as an example. I mean, but Mulholland Drive was really a masterpiece and, and doing that yeah. and David Lynch kind of broke the mold that way. So asking him to replicate that here doesn't really help. But, you know, there's all those things of why did we even meet Red? What was going on with Audrey? Did we need to see her? All those questions of did we need to see anything in the first 16 hours? Yeah. The answer is if related to the ending, is no. Yeah. We didn't need to see any of that. What we needed to see was basically Cooper's and slash Dougie's storylines. And all those other storylines were in some way connected to that a little bit. But some like like Red never really did, except for with Richard. Uh, And Jerry Horn, you know, running through the woods. Yeah, he saw Richard die again. But these are very like, they were huge tangents that got a lot of time. Some of them never came back, like Wally Brando, really. Uh, Beverly and, and Tom Beverly Page. and Tom Page uh, the sweep the sweeping <laughs> at the roadhouse you know we got ever know talking about prostitution again but that never went anywhere but I I think if you're looking at it from a purely storytelling point of view that is that is certainly a failure of a, a certain type of storytelling yes and and if you're gonna look at it from a different lens from a type of impressionistic, Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. filmmaking yeah. lens or or yeah. I don't know like you could you could look at it from different ways and it's suddenly not as important that the story doesn't line up anymore yeah. it becomes something more and yeah it's, it's it was about emotion I mean I think that's yeah. that's really what the 16 hours did more better than anything was play with your emotions yeah and your concepts and 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 what the structure you built in your own mind to interpret how you saw it right so the ending not connecting directly isn't isn't a failing in any way right um but as we were told a pretty conventional, straightforward story for those first 16 points, which is crazy yeah. to think about uh, considering how much theorizing and everything we did uh, to connect all the dots in those first 16 episodes. But now the ending took us for a spin, uh, did something different. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they don't connect uh, is I can understand why people are upset. Of course. Still, yeah. I'm still upset about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and. In some ways, no amount of theorizing or filling in the blanks is ever going to replace that, that uh, I'd say, like a disconnect between the two distinct feels of the series. The hyper-realist last episode and the 17-ish hours of surrealism that, that came before. Um, or the opposite, maybe. Yeah, the yeah, realism exactly, of, yeah. The, of the first 16, yeah. 17 hours and the surrealism of the last yeah exactly depending on how you look at it yeah but well but and i I mean okay i i see your point and (laughs) yeah but i I, you know i think you're right though that you can you can still engage with uh the ending Mm -hmm. and you you can really grapple with it and that is so rewarding to Mm -hmm. do like and that's when we get to the theories that we're going to talk about some of them are so you know well thought out and they're you know they're 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 connecting things that we hadn't thought about before or uh, they're, they're grappling with like really deep meaning yeah, about yeah, yeah. characters and good and evil and, and um, everything that we saw being, you know, partly illusion or something like that. Right. And right. it's, it's really great to, well, and you can, you can look at one theory 
and it fits 100%. And you can look at another theory, and it fits 100%. <laughs> you can look at a third theory. They all fit. They all, yeah. almost all of them, like with 95% cohesion, mm-hmm. fit the story. Yeah. So it's like, oh yeah, okay, I buy that theory and I buy that theory and I buy... <laughs> and, and they're that's all contradictory. Ma- they're all completely <laughs> contradictory, but they well, all work. Whole, they work, yeah. So it's, it's, I think it's a testament to the open-endedness of The Return mm-hmm. and of the Twin Peaks world and maybe David Lynch's whole entire body of work mm-hmm. as, a, as a whole entity yep. um, that, that we can theorize about this to such a degree. It's a testament to the, the brains of the Twin Peaks community because this is and and david lynch's fan base and mark frost's fan base that Mm -hmm. we can engage with it on this level and that there are so many people who are so bright and and clever to come up with these theories and make these connections Mm um i I, I, yeah so i mean it's it's actually really remarkable and i am i'm really quite impressed with how how that's turned out the the theorizing especially Mm -hmm. um even if there are people who are really upset with the amount of theorizing and the contradictions that are arising from it. And um, and we can get into it when we talk about the theories because I think we're going to run through a list of yeah. just all the big <laughs> theories that have come out of the, the last spotted, two weeks yeah. that we've seen. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think this is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And it's, and it's exactly what... I, I think David Lynch and Mark Frost knew exactly what we wanted. Mm-hmm. They knew that... Everybody claims that we wanted a, cl- a closed ending, mm-hmm. a happy ending. We wanted to see Audrey's story fulfilled, and we wanted to see Becky and Shelley and Bobby's story fulfilled, and we wanted to get closure for Harry Truman, and um, we wanted all of these things to happen. But if we had that, we would not be talking about it. Yeah. And this would be this would be a finality that we would be. It's an ending that we wouldn't be able to reopen again because yeah. everything would be solved. Yeah. So what they've done is they've left this box of goodies open for us to play in. And, and the sandbox will be open for decades, yeah. you know, yeah. unless they come up with more, in which case that sandbox will grow. <laughs> so, I mean, this is what they give us. And I was really frustrated with that at, at the night that we finished watching mm-hmm. it. But now that I've played in the sandbox a little bit. I'm so enthralled mm-hmm. and and it's like the difference between what we want and what we need, mm-hmm. which Mr. C talked about in part two <laughs> is now right in front of us. And, and Lynch has given us what we need. Mm-hmm. Lynch and Frost have given us what we need instead of what we want. Yep. They knew exactly what we needed. Um, and that's, that's what people have been running with. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I will never, I, I don't understand the people who will shoot down the theories. That that drives me crazy when when people, you can argue about it and you can have respectful disagreements with it, but don't tell people that they're wrong yeah. because that's not the point. The point is that we want people to engage with this yeah, material. Try and come up with something. Yeah. And that's, that's what's amazing And I think it. that's the point, which we'll get to mm-hmm. at the end. But, um, so let's talk about those theories. Yeah. We've seen quite a few. Yes, we have. There <laughs> are said, a been, lot that are, looking, that are going around. I mean, I, I log into Facebook and on the there's a dialogue group, which was an off, offshoot of the log posting mm-hmm. uh, group at one point. Uh, and, you know, every day I go in and someone's got a fairly detailed theory, you know, explaining or describing or uh, conjecturizing. That's, that's now, not that's a word. That's definitely a word. Uh, <laughs> some some aspect of the the finale mm-hmm. or the rest of the series or even, you know, connection between Fire Walk With Me and, and mm-hmm. the original series or something like that. Right. Um, and they're all, you know, really great. But we've kind of picked out the ones that we've... Well, they're the ones I think that, that people have 
yeah, latched have, onto. Yeah, and, and that have, have kind of grown legs and have mm-hmm. um, moved through the fandom. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, so, some we haven't, we don't know too well. Some were just like, oh yeah, that 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 works, but we didn't really dive in ourselves quite right. as much. Other ones we have, uh, I would say, a vested interest in. Even. Maybe. Yes. Maybe we'll yeah. get some bickering in here, Perhaps. I think, a little bit. Um, so the first one that, that kind of cropped up, uh, it seems fairly self-explanatory, is this this idea of um, part or all of the the return being some kind of dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and this was one an early one that I kind of latched onto myself just because of this scene at the end in the sheriff's station with um, Cooper's face superimposed. Floating head. Yeah, <laughs> over top of the scene, which has a very dreamlike quality to it. Um it calls back to things like the Wizard of Oz and Dorothy's dream. That seems to be, um, that was an early favorite, I think, for me. I'm still not entirely convinced it's it's not true, but uh, it it has its problems, right? That um, you have to start thinking about how far does the dream extend? Where where does the dream start? Where does it end? And, and brings up the question, who is the dreamer, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, and... What I had initially believed was that Richard is is the real Cooper yeah. in some way, and or that he's been dreaming the this story, the entire of, world of Twin Peaks, right? And I think the the biggest flaw with that one is the fact that when he grabs Carrie Page, um, and takes her to the Palmer household, and she hears uh, sure. Sarah's call from another world, um, it it feels a little bit like there there is some sort of connection. I mean, not perhaps not to say that. If Richard is the dreamer and he dreamed up the entire series of Twin Peaks, um, that doesn't make it unreal Mm -hmm. because we've kind of talked about that in the past that the dream might by dreaming, you're actually just accessing another world that's also just as real. Yes. So it doesn't totally negate it if Richard just dreamed the whole thing. Yeah. Um, But the fact that that Laura slash Carrie hears the the thing screams and then magically wipes out the electricity in the block. Uh, is not quite okay, but that's still an assumption that you're making that she that the scream is what knocks it out that the, that mm. it, there's a relation there. It could just like Seems like there's it does seem <laughs> yeah, like that's yeah, yeah. a link, but definitely. But there there's still assumptions being made, mm-hmm. and I think it's possible that you could read it as as multiple dreamers dreaming of each other, or you know, like you've said many times in the past that you know dreamers in the lodge dream of the real world and the real world dreamers dream of the lodge so if you're a character in somebody else's dream you can influence the dream that you're a character in and that becomes that infinity loop a little bit right where um dreamers beget dreamers in the dreams in which they've been dreamt yeah like (laughs) it it gets messy but it's very i mean that's a very intriguing idea that that there are multiple levels of dreams going on here and again not to say these are literal like i'm going to sleep i'm going to have a dream tonight like it's not that kind of dream necessarily but you know if you want to talk about visions or um you know accessing some kind of higher mental state which i think fits very very much into uh some of the the um but the, those, the, those the, yeah, the, interpretations like, as well, yeah. Yeah, um, Eastern philosophies and stuff where where these ideas, and those are David Lynch's beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. Those are ideas that are not contradictory. Yeah. Um, so is it, it's, it's into, it is possible, I think, for, for this sum of or all of Twin Peaks to have been considered part of some kind of dream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or at least the return version that we see. I mean, sure. it's still 
yeah because i mean the role of cooper slash richard uh in the dreaming in relation to the red room i mean yeah. what's going on in the red room is still not at all clear um the the last two episodes cast a whole bunch of doubt over everything we've seen and, mm-hmm. and the way uh time seems to be cycling through itself right. uh and maybe making things out of order it makes it really hard to interpret how the dreaming is going on in that place mm-hmm. in relation to everything else we see in the series which is all in uh you know, the, the return world of Twin Peaks yeah. as opposed to 1990 or 1989 Twin Peaks, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, an idea that I had this morning when I was kind of like half asleep thinking about what we were going to talk about today on the podcast. Um, and it kind of comes back to this idea of dreamers and waking up and then going back into dreams maybe. or um, And I'm thinking specifically, I think a lot about Audrey just because it's the one big loose thread that hasn't been resolved in any way that bothers me um, that she wakes up in this kind of no man's land where there's, and it really doesn't have any other connection to much of anything except for maybe the ending of Eraserhead where it's, it's kind of unclear where that space is, but um, this idea that you, and all I could think about was Wreck-It Ralph <laughs> where these are and again coming back Do to video game Lindsay, characters yes. where there's like there's a world where where people exist as thoughts or as um you know where the video game characters in Wreck-It Ralph go mm. before they've been called up by the quarter in yeah, the yeah, video yeah. game to play the game yeah. and then when the game is over and the quarters run out or whatever they go back to this other place mm. and it's almost like um that might be the loop that we're talking about that that mm. because we we talk about dreamers and who the dreamer is and maybe what happens when you wake up from a dream is what happens to the people you're thinking about what happens mm-hmm. to the people you dream about and i feel like that's a question that maybe david lynch would would question a lot he would wonder you know i dream very vividly what happens to the dream when i wake up mm-hmm. what happens is that what what audrey is experiencing is that what um Maybe we'll face Carrie if she is waking up at this point. Is she going to end up in some kind of no man's land because she's woken up? Is she the dreamer? Or is she being dreamed? It's I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't really have a very that's a that's Solid kind of a thing, weird yeah. thread to go on. But yep. So coming out of that that idea of there being dreamers, I don't think it's it's an incompatible um, theory to say that there's some kind of looping going on. We talked about already about the infinity symbol that, um, that Phil Jeffrey shows to Cooper and how that seems to be um, some kind of indication of, of where Cooper is going to be headed when he leaves that, that lodge world that he goes into. Um, And it's, it's a fairly pessimistic point of view to say that, that he's in some kind of loop but I think there's a lot to it that that there's a lot to be read into the final episodes that suggest that he is in some kind of looped state. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the the very final image that we're left with as the credits roll is we're back in the red room and it's Laura whispering to Cooper again, um, which is what we saw all the way back in uh, part one or two. And well, and even. The dream sequence from of episode course, three or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So so we keep coming back to this idea that maybe, well, I keep coming back to it because this is another one of the theories that I, I quite like is that Cooper's doomed to repeat 
this mistake. And I think the mistake is trying to save Laura Palmer. And I wrote about this for 25 years later site um, last week that it seems like this was um, a fool's quest or a fool's errand that he took this hero's his role as the hero to um, some kind of extreme mm-hmm. and that he's he's making a mistake in trying to save Laura Palmer from salvation that she achieved through her own agency and that he's doomed to repeat that mistake until he breaks out of it. And I've seen some interesting things said um, about Audrey's relationship to all of this because she seems to be stuck in that same kind of looped um, place where she repeats the same actions or the same conversation in slightly different iterations with Mm -hmm. Charlie as she's trying to get out the door. She's trying to cross a threshold. And then at some point she does something that breaks that cycle and she gets to the roadhouse. And I think it was Eileen who actually brought it up that for the first time that I heard that it's almost like um, a video game where you play a game and you reach a certain place and you have to make a decision, and if you make the wrong decision, you end up not being able to complete the level, and you have to respawn at the beginning and go back to starting position, which is, it's it's an interesting idea that that um, that this might be, like, uh, a cycle that you, you need to actively try and break out of. Mm-hmm. And the problem for Cooper is either that he is, you know, too invested in saving Laura Palmer, which is maybe not the right thing to do or that um, he doesn't recognize that he doesn't have a choice in the matter or something. Um, But until he gets through that process, he'll constantly be going back to the red room and Laura will constantly be whispering in his ear and he'll constantly be confronted by Leland saying, find Laura, which Mm -hmm. again brings up a whole other opens up a whole other can of worms. Like why in the hell is Cooper listening to Leland to begin with? Um, it, it all seems like Cooper is wrong somehow mm-hmm. and that he's making mistakes. And that's what's led to, to all of this bad stuff happening. Yeah. And it's, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, especially the last, I mean, yeah, the last two episodes with the the exact repetition modified slightly mm-hmm. of the earlier scenes in the Red Room definitely suggests this. Um, the way that there's really, it's a really hard, one of the other theories that I kind of liked um but I don't see how it really works is that the ending is actually takes place in a different, like the ending is when Cooper walks out of the red room the last time and meets Diane Mm -hmm. uh, at Glastonbury Grove. And that's the actual ending and everything else is just being shown out of order, but it's really hard to, to, to get to that kind of conclusion because everything is so tightly wound together and everything's just connected and and flows just so that um, it it easily lends itself to uh, understanding it as a loop. Um, you know, the ending, the very, like the very final scene, um, could suggest something else in my favorite theory that we'll get to right Mm -hmm. away is that it does. Um, but absolutely, uh, the fact that you wind up over the credits again, going back to Cooper and Mm -hmm. and Laura in the red room is, is definitely some pretty damning evidence for (laughs) the fact that perhaps Cooper is stuck in this thing and trying to get two birds with one stone was a, a folly folly thing to attempt in, in, in any, in any case. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind that theory. It is one of my, one of the ones I think has the most support within the, the text itself, yeah. but I just, it's a little too negative for me. I just, I, I feel like, I feel I like know. it's so disheartening. To well, because it, it does, failing. it does capture uh, a very 
interesting idea that that Cooper is a failed hero and, mm-hmm. and nobody wants to imagine a hero failing. But um, this is kind of Cooper's thing, right? Like he's he's never quite he never reaches the pinnacle that he was at when he was solving Laura's murder mm-hmm. way back in, you know, season one, season one, yeah, season two, really. early season two. But even then it was a very like he didn't he wasn't able to prevent Maddie's murder. Um, he wasn't able to prevent Caroline's murder. He wasn't able to prevent Annie from being kidnapped and taken to the lodge. He, he's he's failing in a lot of respects in, mm-hmm. in his role as the hero. And in this in, in part 18 especially, and, and it begins at the end of part 17 when he tries to take Laura home, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was listening to this on the Lodgers podcast today and, and they uh, had a very similar idea that um, that there's very little differentiating the hero from the abuser at this point. That um, Cooper, by bringing Laura out of, uh, away from the the salvation that she would have achieved in the train car when she chooses to die instead of choosing to allow Bob to possess her, that he is reenacting some kind of trauma on Laura. And and there is something to that. As, as noble as his intentions are, there's, there's an idea that maybe he, as much as he wants to succeed that there's no way he could have succeeded yeah and there's no success in that kind of goal yeah yeah and 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 it brings back that question of why does he think this is this is the ultimate goal Mm because nobody with any sense is going to bring laura back home to the palmer house where all that pain and suffering took place and i was listening to the ew podcast the other day um and jeff jeff jensen had a great um theory that you know, Cooper is maybe acting in some way as a, a Black Lodge agent at this point, that he's not actually fulfilling a role that's given to him by the White Lodge, but that this is um, some kind of perversion of the goals. Like, the goal would have been to get Cooper out of the Lodge, and, and then somewhere along the line it became, we need to get Bob back. Mike is Mike wants to get Bob back with him, so he's going to use Cooper to get him back. And then... Maybe Judy is somehow involved, like Leland being being the one that tells him to find Laura. Mm-hmm. Is Judy somehow involved with Leland and they're trying to get Laura back home that night so that she doesn't die, so that she mm-hmm. can be the constant source of pain and suffering, the Garmambosia producer that she is? Because otherwise she would die and they lose that that source of cream corn right mm-hmm. and i mean that's that's so depressing yeah to think about it. it's really really depressing to think that that cooper in his desperation has fallen victim to some kind of and i evil think force. that i think that kind of falls apart for a couple reasons a uh cole describes uh cooper as going for two birds with one stone right. which i interpret as being saving laura and finding judy which was the topic of the discussion when cole brought up this two birds with one stone right piece um and he said that before he went into the Red Room. He said, if I ever go missing, look for me. I'm going to be trying to get two birds with one stone. Right. So this is, I think, Cooper's goal around Laura, trying to save Laura preemptively, um, has been in his mind the whole time. Mm-hmm. Ever since she died, ever since he met her in that dream, I think he's been wanting to try and go back and save her. Um, so I, I think the fact that he's working with the the Red Room spirits or anything uh, doesn't, doesn't really impact. And I think especially with Judy... Um, what's really complex and really confuses everything about Judy is 
Why does Doppelcooper want to find her? We know why Cole and the FBI, the agents of good, they think she's a source of evil, or I forget how it's described mm-hmm. now. Um, so them wanting to find her and potentially stop her hold on planet Earth, or however you want to interpret it, makes sense. Mm-hmm. What is Doppelcooper's goal for all this? And more along, what is Bob's goal <laughs> along all of this? Because uh, as, as a doppelganger, uh, Co- Cooper might have, like DC might have similar goals to Cooper, um, but for, you know, evil purposes as opposed to good. Um, but why, why is Bob taking along for the ride? Why, where, where is Bob going in all this? Does he want to return to his mother? You know, like well, the, these things really kind of confuse that 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 kind and, of and and it 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 all presupposes that Judy is an actual person or yeah, a thing, or thing that can be captured or that or that can be, can be dealt realized with in some way. Yeah, which is why I really like the idea that Judy is a concept is is not mm-hmm. a real thing. Yeah, and because it it and and then also yeah. that if Judy is a concept and if part of this is some kind of dream state realization of the real world then you don't need to worry so much about what the logic is because it's yeah. you know and maybe yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's silly to just say well you could just explain it away as dream logic but <laughs> but there is a certain kind of um logic to yeah, it that, that, yeah, that you can yeah. just say it doesn't have to make perfect sense and we should stop beating ourselves up trying to make it make perfect sense um yeah which is which is fair but yeah <laughs> i think like no it's definitely there's there's some meat there to chew on. Um, to come back to this idea of like the looping idea, the, mm-hmm. one of the other big problems that I that I have with it is that, um, and that a lot of people have with it, is the same as what all the criticisms of the dream theory are. Does it mean anything if mm-hmm. if everything can happen, none of it matters, yeah. right? Like it feels like if if the the loop, if you take a loop that you know, every time you go through it, something different happens, you know, and if what we're seeing is the result of one loop and if there's another loop beside it, I mean, it, it does kind of, you question the meaning of all of this, hmm. um, which maybe is. Well, yeah, or it's worth examining in detail every aspect of the, which is kind of what we're doing now. Yeah, we're, sure. We're going back and saying, okay, if it's a loop. What do, what do all these little clues along the way mean? Yeah. Um, you know, why why does Philip Jeffries say, you've already met Judy, to Doppel Cooper? Mm-hmm. Does that impact our understanding of Judy? Yes, right. it does. So let's yeah. go back on another loop and yeah, see yeah. how it influences that time. So I I feel like, uh, yeah, there's there's definitely different ways to approach it if, if you view the whole series as a kind of loop. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, it, it's 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 very it's a very interesting theory because of that because of the way time uh, is a future is a past gets repeated, mm-hmm. um, the points at which it does, um, the motivations of all the characters who are, which are murky as best at best, um, you know they they just complicate that so you can go back and rewatch it again and again and again and it's it's very much uh, like Infinite Jest in that way where. Uh, which is one of my favorite books and one of those <laughs> books that did make me sit down and think for a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
because that one was designed to be reread. You, you didn't yeah. have the you didn't have the ending at the ending. The ending was actually at the start. Right. And that might be the case here. If if Richard and Linda, if that's just a warning for Cooper as he goes back in for the next round of yeah. trying to to get out of the red room, um, is like remember these things, Cooper. You fucked up last yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't go for thirty miles. Do and something he says, different. I understand, and then makes the same mistake so, over yeah. again, and then he has to go back to the fireman, and the fireman says, yeah. remember. Yeah. And he, you know, like if that, if that's the point, then, then it's, it is worth looking at. Mm -hmm. And it begs the question, what is the right way to go about this? Yeah. What does Cooper have to do differently? Yeah. Um, Or is it something Laura has to do? Or exactly. Is is that what, is that what Laura's trying to tell him? Like that's the, that's the big, one of the big mysteries that people are going to be left with. It's, it's not necessarily what year is this, but it's, what is she whispering in his ear? Mm-hmm. And is that, I mean, the look on his face suggests it's something very important. Um, very bad almost. He yeah. Has, he, he reacts viscerally. Yeah. Of course. So it's like, is she telling him that he's doomed to fail? Mm-hmm. And is he forgetting that every time? Like, and it, it's impossible to know, but this is what's so juicy about this is that we can imagine it. Um, and take it to wherever we want it to go. Yeah. It's kind of the point, I think. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, um, another theory that I've stumbled across briefly in some of the, the uh, think pieces that were floating around the last couple of weeks is that uh, that Part 18 is somehow, and, and we touched on this in our hot take episode, somehow ritualistic. Mm-hmm. And I said that instinctively because it felt ritualistic yeah. to me. But then reading about this, um, that maybe there's some kind of, uh, Moonchild Babylon working connection here between um, Diane and her red hair and Marjorie Cameron, who is uh, Jack Parsons' wife in in real life. This was, a, you know, the whole Babylon working thing that Jack Parsons and Marjorie Cameron, Cameron were attempting. Um, that involved sex magic and it involved, mm-hmm. you know, a level of of like this kind of metaphysical uh yeah supernatural working yeah Yeah, exactly that that had to be be done in order to bring about this 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 change and whether you look at it as um you know bringing about the moon child itself like and that's one that's only one reading of what this could be or whether their coupling that night would bring about judy in the same way that sam and tracy's Mm -hmm. um sexual foray in part one brought about the the uh experiment in the mm-hmm. glass box in new york uh that's an interesting idea and it and it kind of helps to explain that very disturbing sex scene that people are mm-hmm. really having a hard time with um the the big problem that i have with with any kind of literal you know interpretation of that is that it really feels like the whole Thelema uh jack parsons connection yeah is kind of a Mark Frost secret history of Twin Peaks thing. Like it's much more suited to that kind of occult um, dialogue that Mm -hmm. is happening in the book that isn't really present, but that can be interpreted through. And and there's nothing wrong with taking it that way. I just don't know. It it comes back to like the intention of what they're getting at. Maybe it's just convenient that, you know, Marjorie Cameron had flame red hair and Diane has a flame red wig that she's wearing instead of a white wig you know mm-hmm. and um i don't know if you want to comment on that no all, no i know i i agree i think it's it's one of those ones that it's it's just another layer of of a potential interpretation of, of what's going on i think the whole that whole 
middle section with Cooper and Diane after they've crossed they've crossed over right um and then they're in the hotel the motel room mm-hmm. um I feel like that whole that whole thing is in some sort of in-between space okay um and so I I I don't know if it's gonna connect directly to I mean in some ways it makes perfect sense for it to be like the supernatural portal if they are mm-hmm. gonna make the moonchild you'd make it in this middle earth <laughs> kind of sure place. uh so you know I, I don't know if that's that's it's not out of the realm of possibility, for sure. Well, and it, it does feel like it's um, almost like a red room, like a waiting room area. It's it's kind of unmoored from any real concept of time as we've seen it in Twin Peaks. Like it, it feels, it almost feels like original, the original Twin Peaks series where everything kind of felt dated and, and kind of rootless. It didn't feel dated. It did feel dated, mm-hmm. but it didn't feel dated to a specific time. Yes, it right? was very, yes. Like it was, it was wishy-washy in that yeah, sense. Yeah. And this felt the same. Like, I don't know when that motel existed. The decor suggested some kind of uh, 1960s, yeah. 1950s atomic age um, stuff. The car was, I think, from the late 60s or, yeah, or yeah. 1960s anyway. Yeah. Um, it felt like a very dated place, but you couldn't put your finger on what, what that, date that date was. was. Yeah. Not like you could the next morning when Cooper wakes yeah, up when as the Richard. Cars are all yeah, and, and he's and driving a, day, yeah. I think it's a Lincoln. It's a Lincoln again. Same yeah. as what Mr. C was driving yeah. in, in uh, earlier. When he crashed, yeah, yeah. yeah. The motel is more modern and it's a modern. Yeah, everything, everything place. looks modern, yeah. So it does feel like it's not a real place. Like it's some kind of um, almost waiting room red room yeah, kind of place, yeah. place so if that's and, it, and that uh, also could potentially explain uh diane's doppelganger or sure, exactly. other half. if if this is a place where all the only reason it exists is for cooper and diane's on perhaps on loops to come to this place right. there could be multiple versions of them there at any given time and they just they come and go and they they pass through this this medium space sure. before progressing on to whatever world it is they're they're heading towards um, I do think that though that um, there's some really interesting um, perspectives on that from from the idea that Diane is dissociating and experiencing some kind of um, body oh, yeah, yeah almost yeah. in in preparation for um, having sex with her rapist, which is really mm-hmm. what happens in that scene, and that's yeah. what makes it what part of what makes it so uncomfortable. Which comes up in the the piece that David Auerbach posted on Waggish, which has been making the rounds and has really captivated a lot of people's attention. Uh, that so moving on to that theory mm-hmm. that um, that Laura is being used as bait in this separate. I think he calls it a pocket dimension um, where she's being kept safe in order to lure Judy so that she can destroy her, mm-hmm. and that Cooper and Diane use their um this sexual encounter as a way to open the portal or mm-hmm. to uh lure judy to that world yeah. um which is a very fascinating theory and it and it does hit a lot of the points for me that um you know the the idea that cooper is on some kind of really really horrible tragic journey that goes against everything that we would expect him to want to do, which is to protect the people that he cares about. And here he's inflicting more pain on everybody. Um, but he has to do this. It's like it's like a compulsion. Um, so I like that, which is horrible to say that I would that I would want to see well, Cooper do this, but yeah. but it feels necessary almost at this point. Like you can't expect Cooper to 
not bear some kind of psychological scars from spending quarter a century in the Black Lodge or in the Red Room. Mm-hmm. So he's going to come out and he's going to be his morals may have shifted. He's not, that, that's why I think the dream idea really speaks to me. Cause I don't feel like Cooper would wake up in a hotel bedroom and be like, I am the FBI as much as I want him to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He's not going to, you know, no. drive into Twin Peaks and ask if the coffee's on. There's, there's more important things that he would want to deal with. So, mm. um, it's one of the reasons why I love the, the Cooper that we get in part 18 so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, you were going to say something about that. No, I mean, I think, yeah, I think the the interesting part, and it's part of my pet theory as well, is that um, Laura is there to defeat right. Judy in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I'm kind of partial to that. And I think it does; it definitely raises uh, questions about the morality of anybody who would force Laura to do that. Yeah. Um, but I feel like Laura, the character, died in Fire Walk with me. Yeah. Laura, the pitcher. Laura, the golden orb, mm-hmm. uh, is a recreation for the return. It's a, it's a new aspect to the Laura that we see. And I think the Carrie Page that we get in episode 18 is the Laura that we get for the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like however you interpret her disappearing in the woods and, uh, you know, her, her non-death on the beach, how, that, that could be interpreted as a positive thing. A, she doesn't die. Um, but yes, she she whatever Carrie Page goes through in her lifetime of twenty five years after that fact, right. um, she's not happy either. Um, but she still has the power to do something great, and yeah, that is okay. defeat Judy, perhaps. So I mean, it's not it's still wishy washy, but I I feel like that one speaks to me because I've always felt like Laura had this power. She has the glow inside of her when mm. she takes off her face, um, and she just she never had the chance to use it because she had been a victim her whole life. Um, and you know, she was so young and she couldn't perhaps grasp the power that she had within her yet. Right. 25 years later, no matter where she is, if she's stuck in the red room for those 25 years or she's stuck as Carrie Page in Odessa, Texas for 25 years, uh, she'll have a chance to, to do that. And I think that's, that's a kind of a, you have to reconsider her character and everything we've seen so far, which is really hard to do because the series didn't, you know, this last episode didn't give you much time to reorient your interpretation of, of Laura's character based on Firewalk yeah. with me, which was, you know, such a, a heavy, heavy thing about abuse and torment and trauma to move to another character who is potentially just more positive, even though she looks rough and haggard and she's had a tough life. She has a power inside of her. Well, I mean, that's even indicated right away when you meet her because you see a dead guy on her couch and mm. she's presumably killed him yeah. or was party mm-hmm. to his his death in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so she she was able to have some kind of agency over, we can assume, a, an abusive relationship yep. or an unwanted relationship in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's different in that respect from... But then she's also 25 years older than the Laura that died in 1989. So there's fundamentally going to be a wisdom and a maturity that comes out of an extra 25 years Mm -hmm. of life that, you know, young Laura wouldn't have. Exactly. Maybe it's just the difference we're supposed to read is in one, she was still being abused and she never fought back. In this one, she just fucking killed the guy who was abusing her, you know, like perhaps this is the Laura that's finally ready to to fight back um, against whatever Judy is, you know, I I don't know. It's interesting to me. Um, 
I still don't like the the idea of, of Laura suffering, though, especially in light of Firewalk With Me being such a positive ending for her mm-hmm. and, a, and a positive ending that she sought out and that she attained for herself. And then to have Cooper once again coming back um, as almost her tormentor, you know, yeah. and, and coming back to what Kate was saying on The Lodgers that, you know, the line between hero and abuser is blurred. Um, as much as I... I hate Cooper. I like the idea for him. It still bothers me that Laura would be put through this. And for what? Because I'm not entirely sure what Judy is or what the ending means. Mm -hmm. You know, people have have put it out like you just did earlier that um, the electricity going out means that the lodge has been destroyed. And I'm still not sure that that's what that means. Even yeah, though no, I, I argued it in a Black Lodge, White Lodge piece a couple weeks ago. I'm still not sure that that's, that's what it means. So I'm... There's I'm no really, answer, I yeah. think, either way. So, so you could interpret it that way. Yeah. Or you can interpret it in any other ways, in which case it's it's less positive. Yeah. But but to have this, this idea that, I mean, Judy was kind of created ad hoc at the beginning of Part 17. She was mentioned in Firewalk with me. We kind of had you know, this search for Judy come out in the last two episodes, but to get the mythology of Judy just like dumped on us at the beginning of part 17, which I'm still not a hundred percent sure is real life. Judy is just magically created. And Laura suddenly has to be the one to defeat her all in the last two hours. Well, feels a it was little really bit... set up in part eight. I mean, we, we saw that like giants or firemen saw, um, experiment shooting up Bob and she's like he's like well well let's do something about this and he creates that's that. one interpretation <laughs> and I, we'll get to that because it's another sure. theory that that has come up but um the the okay all right that I'm just saying that's okay. just <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the only way to interpret that scene well but it's okay. it's I don't think it's the only way I think let's talk about it now screw sure. it round one fight Okay. <laughs> what if what if that is supposed to be read metaphorically? Like, yes, there was a bomb that went off, and yes, we're seeing that bomb go off, and yes, that's that could be you know the metaphor for evil coming into this world. Mm-hmm. That's hundred percent could be true. But the idea that you could um, undo the atomic bomb that is Laura Palmer's life, and and erase her trauma and erase everything that's happened to her by taking her from the woods that night is it's like putting toothpaste back into the tube. It's like, you can't, you can't undo that. You can't go back to a time before that happened. It, I think Cooper proves that by, by trying to, and maybe he just doesn't go back far enough, but I mean, it's, it's kind of cataclysmic when you look at it that way. So I almost want to read part eight now looking back on it as Cooper misguidedly thinks he can save Laura, that he can undo the atomic bomb that is the trauma of Laura Palmer's life. And the giant slash the fireman says, no, we have to put a stop to this. I'm going to take Laura. And we don't see where he sends her. We don't see where that golden orb lands. It just ends up sort of in in the Western Hemisphere in North America. He could have been sending her. That could have been when he ripped her from the woods and sent her to Odessa, Texas. That could have been what he was doing. Except for created her out of his gold brain. Matter. Yes, of course. And there's lots of links with that being, you know, <laughs> a, a topa and everything yeah. like that. But I mean, it's 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 
really that could have just been the thought itself to do this manifesting and then and then like i mean it's okay i get it i i just i i don't see the atomic bomb being anything to do with laura it's the evil that men do the atomic bomb is the creation of bob and and the entry of bob into the world so and he's there to combat that entry that the all the evil that men do that's what laura's existence is that's for. that's the interpretation that you're taking yes I and don't, it's how can you i'm not saying it's not i'm just saying that it metaphorically represents the, but the, it has nothing to do with laura the atomic bomb has nothing to do with laura i think everything that happened to laura is like an atomic bomb in her life it exploded everything about her life and everything that she knew. Okay. If you read her diary, if you read the the secret so diary, you get this perspective on a young girl who has had an atomic bomb go off in her life. Okay. And we can't go back in time to undo the atomic bomb. That is not something that we currently, with the physics that we have now, uh, you can't. Yeah. You just can't do that. Okay. I think the same can be said for undoing the trauma in Laura's life. I think that yeah, that... Yeah, I, I don't think that's what Cooper's trying to do. I think that's exactly what Cooper's trying to do. I don't know. Why would he take her to the place where she endured all the trauma? Exactly. Why would he do that? Because, because that's not wrong. his goal. No, yeah, that's not his goal. His goal is to uh, to find Judy and save Laura's life. I don't think it's to undo the trauma that she endured. But how, why would you... Okay, we're getting to the, the We're, we're bickering already. This I is know. good. This is good. Well, I thought we were going to save that for a separate <laughs> section. Okay, but. okay. Let, let's move on to the other theories and then we'll come back to this one because it is this is a bone of contention between us. Um, so one that came up almost immediately, actually. I was almost surprised. It was like three days later. People overlaid the the two episodes, part 17 and part 18. Yeah. Uh, watched them either side by side or, yes, overlaid on top of one another. Yeah. And there are a lot of sync ups apparently. We I have not watched it. Have I have you? not either. No. Okay, so we're kind of talking about this one blind, but um, apparently, I've seen some scenes that have been yeah. overlaid. You know, uh, the, the ending. ending and, yes. Yeah. Um, the yeah, specifically the scene of of Carrie screaming in the street and Sarah stabbing the the portrait of Laura inside mm-hmm. the house. Um, Sabrina Sutherland came out and said that was not the intention. Um, I don't think that means that you can't read something into it and get something out of it. Yeah. Um, it's still a worthwhile exercise if you choose to to go down that road. Yeah, my my question about all that is, is what is that? I mean, maybe it would become clear if we did watch it, but I feel like just the fact that they time up, does that really reveal anything? Like, is it, is it basically saying that there's two worlds um, and they're both happening at the same time and, and that? In some way, elusive. I think what if if the the article that I read it in um, did it, a pretty good breakdown of where the most important sync ups happen, and it seems to link up thematically more than uh, okay. plot wise. So, like two things happening on screen in part seventeen and eighteen simultaneously would strengthen the theme that's present in both of those parts or both of yeah. those scenes so it doesn't it doesn't provide any more information per se it's just it no just but maybe maybe it, it it underlines it or highlights it in a way that um bring like it 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 might bring a new understanding mm. in that way if you choose to read into it yeah. i think more than anything because um and and this you know sabrina sutherland has basically said this with it not being the intention like i don't nobody was sitting in an editing bay you know, matching this up second for second. And anything, you put anything next to anything else, you'll find sync-ups that are yeah. meaningful. So it's not... And, and we're primed for that. I mean, the human brain is primed that's, to look for these things. So um, 
So of course you're going to find things that match up. If it says anything about the return or about the plot or about David Lynch or whatever, it's that there's a rhythm to his method of editing Mm -hmm. and that certain things will happen at certain places because that's where it feels like it has to happen. And so if you have a big climax 44 minutes into a 60 minute episode, it's because that's where it felt right. Mm -hmm. And so you overlay two very emotional episodes over top of one another. Chances are you're probably going to have some, some crossover at 44, the 44 minute mark because that's where it lines up. Like I'm, I'm speaking very broadly and mm-hmm. not at all um, to any sort of specifics of these two episodes overlaid over top of one another. But um, I think if it does say anything, that's what it would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's not to discourage anybody from trying this. Yeah. I think it's it's well, fascinating. I want to do it sometime for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's worthwhile and it's very fun and and it. I, it's anathema to me to step on somebody else's theory and to say, or their methods or their process, because it doesn't make sense. And so I, I'm, I, I'm really hesitant to say, don't do this. Yeah. So don't, well, so completely would, yeah. go out and do this. And, yeah. and, you know, if you want to overlay all 18 episodes <laughs> and come back and let us know what you find. That, that, those were the good memes. <laughs> In the week following, there was a lot of backlash. Saying, yeah. Yes. Oh, I put all 18 over top of each other, played them backwards and, yeah. Leland sings the White Album backwards. I think was the, the funniest one. <laughs> That's good. Um, which yeah. I mean, yeah, you can make fun of it all you want, but but I mean, yeah, people not? will find things that speak to them, yeah, and exactly. that's the important part. Yeah, exactly. So my preferred theory, my favorite of yeah, bunch, tell us about your theory. <laughs> is I guess I would generally call it the Buddhist theory. Um, it's an interpretation of the finale that that talks about um, Cooper kind of going to find Laura in. Uh, it's called the Bardo. So it's it's kind of a an in-between world, again, in-between uh, reincarnations. Mm-hmm. So you go to this place, and you forget who you are, which is what Carrie does, mm-hmm. um, and you're stuck there until you get reincarnated, or you achieve enlightenment and you awake. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cooper has taken Diane, uh, who is his memory, his mnemonic device, basically, um, his little recorder, uh, captures all his thoughts and everything. He's taken her with him into uh, a, an in-between place before they even get to the Bardo. Um, there they perform a ritual. She gives him all her memories so that when they finally do cross over into the final world, which is where Carrie Page is, uh, he still retains his knowledge of who he is. So he has gone into the the death world, uh, so to speak, with his memory of being Special Agent Dale, Dale Cooper, who's there to find Laura Palmer and essentially awaken her mm-hmm. um and so everything we see in the, in the the last episode is there in order for him to get her to her mother's place where she can yes face the trauma that she endured okay. uh face it head on remember it remember who she is and then she can wake up and i i i, I really like this because the last couple episodes feature a number of of wake awakenings and that that's the most interesting thing about that that kind of messes up the cycle thing for me is is all the waking up so audrey's she wakes up in this white space of some sort um when richard wakes up uh you know he's he's awakening too and i feel like the the final scream is is laura's awakening um and i feel like once she's done that 
that's when she has the power to confront Judy. Hmm. So that that's why I prefer this. Uh, the Laura is actually there to fight uh, all the evil in the world because she's awoken and now she has the power within her. And yes, it's it's so it's it's a painful experience for her. Uh, it's not like it's an instant gratifying release. She has to scream because she has to face and remember uh, the torture that she endured. But it also forces her to remember her in-between existence in the Red Room, where she was waiting mm. for 25 years. I'm dead, yet I live. Um, she's hmm. in between a cycle of regeneration there, too. So now she's, as Carrie Page, she faces it head on, heads on, screams. And I, I, I really I really love the the understanding of that final shot of you know, Laura's scream is so powerful that it can knock out the fire from Hawk's map, the, the fire mm-hmm. that's, that's more like modern electricity. In, in this case, it would be electricity. It's the electricity that Philip Gerard uses to create people and to travel through dimensions. Uh, and the woodsmen use it as well. And Laura, if she can command it at her will, I mean, she's, she's the magician. Yeah. She's the magician really <laughs> at the end of it. Right. Uh, and you know, and there's, there's a bunch of other things this was my initial, uh, in exposure to this theory was in a Twin Peaks dialogue posting uh, group right. on Facebook. Uh, I think it was taken from somewhere else actually originally, but it was posted there. Um, and it was from someone who was kind of like a lapsed Buddhist who mm-hmm. saw all these things instantly, including uh, Cooper and Diane's sex poses as something that uh, bodhisattvas will do mm-hmm. um, in order to, I think, prolong their uh, awareness as they move into the Bardo realm. Right. So it's, it's kind of a, a typical thing in Tibetan Buddhism. And, and yeah, I just think it lines up very nicely with a lot of things. Um, it's still really confusing in terms of timeline and everything. And it doesn't answer uh, all the questions, but I feel like it does does provide a nice wrap up. So that that's that's my preferred theory. Yeah. Um, Lindsay does not share it's not, it quite it's as It's not much. that I don't share it. It's just that I don't think it's, it's entirely true. And, and part of that is just because it is a personal reading into um, into the return that that comes from somebody's personal experience, which does not mean that it's wrong, but it's just another interpretation. So it's, it's hard to, well, yeah. Okay. Cause you could look into this as it, yeah. from a, a Catholic point of view. And Eileen did that in a, in a piece where she talks about Cooper being trapped in purgatory mm-hmm. and that being, you know, the seventh circle of hell, yeah. um, contrasted with seventh heaven mm-hmm. that he talks about in, or that Diane, yeah, yeah, or yeah. sorry, Janie and yeah. Sunny Jim and that whole thing with the playground set yeah. in the backyard. Um, and, and that's totally fine and good. Is it Lynch's perspective? I'm not sure. And, and well, maybe yeah. that's maybe that's completely beside the point. No, and, and, no that's totally fair. I mean, I think I, I don't think you have to label it as Buddhism. I think this sure. can be like like you were saying, this is a, a realm that Judy's put Carrie in yeah. uh, or Laura in as Carrie to protect her. And, and whether or not that's a, a space of death and uh, reincarnation, you know, however you want to interpret that space. Cooper's actions there is still to wake her up. And I, right. and I, and I think it works really well. Cause when I did rewatch episode 17 and 18, it, it starts with the explanation of Judy. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we are finally getting that, that linchpin to do a terrible pun. Uh, <laughs> Lynch is providing us with that pin to say, Judy is actually the key to all this. Okay. Judy is the thing we've been chasing. Um, Doppel Cooper doesn't know who she is, but, but the real Cooper does. Cause he's seen her, uh, in his dream, mm-hmm. uh, over the course of this thing, he saw part eight, you know, yeah. whoever the dreamer is, if it's Cooper, he saw part eight in the red room. Um, he knows where the origin is of, uh, of Judy. So mm-hmm. he's going to 
he's going to go for two birds with one stone. He's going to try and save Laura and try and deal with Judy at the same time. Um, and I think that's what we see in this, in the final part. So it know, kind yeah. of leads back to David Auerbach's piece a little bit in mm-hmm. the sense that, um, any kind of cataclysmic, uh, confrontation between Laura as ultimate good and Judy as ultimate evil, uh, has the power to destroy worlds Mm -hmm. and if it's in a pocket universe then that world can be destroyed and it doesn't affect the real world um but i still don't see how that fits necessarily with um maybe it's a very literal read of the ending being a loop that we go back to the red room at the very end with the credits Mm -hmm. rolling uh because to me, that just suggests that the the job isn't done the job yet. Is not done yet. So somewhere along the line, well, there's inter- a failure. Yeah, and it's interesting because that that last shot it's just repeated, like it, it yeah, literally it loops back loop. and forth. Yeah. Um, and it does beg the question of why the very first shot we got was of about the ending. Yeah, like that really does kind of make me feel that almost parts part 18 is the thing you should watch first then you should start the, the loop to go to the end of 17 and that those, could be a way to watch it absolutely yeah. well right? and you think about it the, the end of part 17 is the start of part 18 yes like they're walking through the woods yeah. together so it is literally that's yeah. one cycle really yeah. so you could start it that way and and then yes cooper is right back there yeah definitely. which which i mean it doesn't negate what you're saying because maybe that 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 bardo cycle of trying to reach enlightenment has not been completed yet. And there's just, I I think it's compatible with a, with a theory that Cooper failed Mm -hmm. or Laura failed or something, um, failed to reach enlightenment. So it's, it's still completely plausible. And I do like that there is some kind of cohesion in that, but that's me who wants cohesion. Yeah, and yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really yeah. thinking that there's not cohesion yeah. here, that it's not going to make sense. So I'm pushing back a little bit on, on that respect. But uh, no, it's definitely a very interesting theory. Um, uh, the guys at Ken Esperanto brought it up in their mm-hmm. podcast, um, which kind of tackled a little bit of everything from the last few parts, but specifically talked about the Buddhist concept of no mind um, Mushin, I think is, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, mm-hmm. but, um, where you kind of understand the, the uselessness of the things that you've been using all along. And in recognizing that you're able to move freely and maybe that's, that's maybe a kind of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. I'm not familiar enough with Buddhist concepts and, and, um, theories and philosophies to really speak eloquently or, uh, correctly on it <laughs> well yeah that's the thing neither am i like and that but i do like it whether or not you viewed as buddhist or not yeah it's it's this idea that there is there is this end point and it is about waking up yeah and yeah however you want to interpret that uh from death from reincarnation from just your own terrible existence into sure. perhaps a worst existence in laura's case um i i just like that that, that there is a conclusion here uh okay so another theory is just that we've got literal time travel happening here yeah which, which is totally makes sense. I mean, it's 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 one reading. Yeah. Um, we know. Uh, I've been reading a little bit of um, Martha Nokensen's David Lynch Swerves, and talk about his interest in physics, theoretical physics, and experimental physics, um, which is very much dealing with ideas of uh, modern physics today, dealing with these ideas of parallel universes and. Um, Things like uh, particles being in two places at the same time. Um, 
and theoretically time travel is possible. It's not physically possible, but theoretically you can, or you can have things affecting things in the past in a way that makes sense from a physics point of view. So it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility that this could be something that David Lynch would play with. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, is it future? Is it past alone? Of course. Indicates that there is some sort of time manipulation of some yes. sort going on. So. Yes. Is it now we, we joked in our hot take episode that this was like back to the future. Yeah. And there's actually some, there was a really funny comic that went around on Tumblr featuring, uh, Albert showing up in a DeLorean yeah. um, on the That's street good. to take Laura and, or Carrie and Richard back because they've fucked up. But, yeah. um, I don't think that's literally what's happening. And and it does create problems because um, as we've, or as lots of people have talked about, um, the grandfather paradox comes in very strongly. If you if you go with this kind of literal yeah. time travel yeah. manipulation. Yeah, Cooper saving Laura prevents his arrival from going into the Red Room, which is how he would then access and, and save, and save Laura. Laura. So it becomes this, this like, again, another infinite loop that um, you can't resolve. Yeah. Um, and that's why physically time travel is probably impossible. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a really great uh, movie, Aiden, that you've talked about that actually explores this idea of the grandfather paradox. What was that? Oh, Primer? Primer, yeah. It's one of the few time travel movies where they tried really, really hard to, mm-hmm. to really get the causality down. Um, it's 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 mind-bending. And, and <laughs> like that's putting it mildly. Especially there's a couple scenes that are really hard to interpret in the film itself just because they couldn't afford doubles and it's like a super well, and, cheap and, indie movie and but it's the kind of movie that again like the return you probably have to watch it definitely, it definitely helps to, to watch multiple times yeah. yeah and and i think it's um but the things like i mean at the end of the day time travel is hard to talk about mm-hmm. anyway because our minds will never be able to uh, manage fourth dimensional uh intercausalities kind mm-hmm. of thing like causality going backwards and stuff like that so <laughs> it just it's it's really difficult to talk about it's really difficult to film it's really difficult to write as mm. uh, what's his name in community. Uh, the Dean once complained right. about it. he was writing a time travel thing. <laughs> I love that episode, by the way. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, really difficult. So um, yeah, let's just say, let's just leave it as a possible interpretation of what's going on. Um, it's not it, the likeliest I would say, because uh, yeah. it feels a little too sci-fi for, for well, Lynch I, and Frost to tackle. No, I mean, if you just treat time travel as a fantasy concept, then you don't have to worry about explaining it, which they don't. I guess. I mean, they don't explain it. Everything's just magic, right? So everything in the Red Room, if they, you know, if Cooper can flutter uh, (laughs) curtains with his hand (laughs) on the way out, then why not time travel too, so. But it does create a problem that, that, like, logic, you can't, you can't logically explain how Laura can disappear and Cooper can arrive in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Unless, Unless there's, there's another crime that brings him there. Yeah. Or, but it, it still feels like... Or it creates a different reality entirely where, yeah, somehow both things have happened or something. Yeah, right. It's, and it's and so it, it gets it gets really messy. And so I'm not entirely sure that that's... Yeah. That that's, uh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> I, I, not that it's wrong. It's just I can't buy into it as much as others. But... Um, a really interesting theory yeah. that we've uh, saw, again, I think it was fairly soon, um, was that the final part 18 takes place in the real world. Right. Um, and this is one that was put out because, primarily I'd say because the actress who played uh, Alice Tremond yes. uh, in the Palmer household was not an actress at all, but the real owner of yes. that real house. Mary Reber actually owns that house. Yes. Today. Today. You could go knock on the door and she would probably answer it. <laughs> 
Um, so, I mean, that that raises some questions. And it's also the only scene that uh, Lynch allowed spoilers basically to be released yeah. on this. Um, so there was a TMZ reporter this. there. Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, a lot of people, it was one of the only spoilers that um, I saw this spoiler back in 2015, 2015 yeah. when it happened. Um, totally by accident because there were tons of people on the street and Lynch didn't clear them out. He allowed them to stay there. Um, people were filming. Photos were taken. Uh, people were talking about the fact that there was a woman screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it was definitely Cooper and, Cooper and Laura walking yeah. up to the Palmer house. Yeah. So, I mean, that... And I'd, I'd almost completely forgotten about it until earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, it brought... A lot is seeing it in context and knowing that that spoiler was the very last scene mm-hmm. in in the the film as it became known, and that it was potentially a huge spoiler mm-hmm. that he allowed everybody to see, kind of makes you wonder about like what does that mean mm-hmm. for the story itself, and I again I was talking <laughs> so to Joel Baca last week. <laughs> And he said this was something that he kind of expected to happen as the the story and as as David Lynch's works grew, that you would um, it would no longer be just dream worlds upon dream worlds, but eventually the real world would be incorporated into um, the the world of David Lynch mm-hmm. or the world of Twin Peaks. So you know, into this this manufactured world, mm-hmm. um, which. And, and there's a lot of things that um, that have come up in conversations with people when they when they start looking for this, such as um, Odessa, Texas. You actually see an actual road sign from Odessa, Texas, with the actual population from 2016 on it. Um, you have a, a real world feeling Cooper as Richard, you know, in the diner, um, not acting as the idealistic coffee pie loving FBI agent that we've come to know, but as like much more real grounded character. Um, There's a, it's a real gas station that they stop at on their way to Twin Peaks. Peaks. The fact that the car that is driving behind them isn't following them as you would expect in a film. When you see headlights in the back window of a car, everybody assumes that they're being followed. That's not what happens in real life, usually. Um, When they come into Twin Peaks, there is no fancy wooden welcome to Twin Peaks with the population sign on the side of the highway. And the Double R Diner, which felt to me throughout Twin Peaks like it was kind of always open, yeah. is shuttered and dark. Yeah. And it's the actual um, cafe in, yeah. in Twin Peaks. There's no Double R to go sign. I mean, it has the Double R um, logo on yeah. it, but it's not, um, it's not Norma's Double R. Yeah. It feels like a different Double R. Yeah. Uh, and even down to the fact that as you're driving through these streets, the camera is looking up at actual houses and, and we see the actual Palmer house, the outside of it anyway, mm-hmm. and we see the actual owner, even though she's playing someone named Alice Tremond. Um, that all really lends itself to this idea that the final part of Part 18 is actually taking place in our world. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea. I love that now we're being implicated in this. And again, that was something that... that uh, the Lodgers brought up in their podcast this week that um, it makes you party to the crimes that are being 
revisited here. We all wanted to return to Twin Peaks. And what does it mean to return to Twin Peaks? It means we re-victimize Laura and we, we, we want her, we need her to be dead so that we can have this world existing to us. And if suddenly part of this world is taking place in our world, we can't escape that implication anymore mm. because we are part of it now. Um, it's, it's a fascinating kind of meta commentary on the way that we interact with media. I have very little to add because <laughs> I, I mean, I, I like it just because um, for those reasons I mentioned that it raises some interesting questions, but it doesn't, in the real world, uh, you know, a scream cannot destroy an electrical network. You know, I, I just, I'm such a realist. Like if we're going to talk about the real world, um, it has certain boundaries and limitations okay. that, that perhaps, uh, are not available to a filmmaker. Well, but so. it, it, it could be that, you know, Lynch is commenting on the fact that the real world is some kind of construct. And, you know, if you, if you go back to um, a kind of Freudian or Lacanian view of the world, then we are only interacting with something that is constructed, constructed a constructed yeah, reality still, that, yeah. that we're facade, able to so. react with. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah, but even on a, a Buddhist too, everything yeah, exactly. you know, not, yeah, well, and, and on a physical level, right? Yeah. I mean, we're mostly comprised of air. Everything we touch is mostly not there. It's, it's a, it's a weird thing to think about, but when you sit in physics classes and they tell you yeah, that, you know, particles are, are made of air. So well, really not we're not, air. well, no, but empty space. There, yes. So space, it's, yes. it's like nothing. We're interacting with nothing <laughs> mostly. And so it's, it's like a matrix mm. kind of, um, way of looking at things that it's all kind of a construct mm -hmm. everything is a construct so everything is manufactured everything is projected mm -hmm. um even reality so you know for for lynch to suddenly if this is what they did if lynch and frost decided to um manufacture reality literally remanufacture the real world in this show it it's it's fascinating to me i think that's that just makes everything kind of build on everything else. And I, I'm enthralled by it. Well, and I think it's the only reason that they show so much, as much of the town as they do in that return, that, that really makes any sense to me uh, because all the other theories that we've talked about, all the other ways of kind of interpreting this last instance don't address what world is it that, that we are in right now uh, in that, in that final scene, you know, yeah. is it, why do we see the double R completely different than we've ever seen it before? It's mm -hmm. not even like it was in the original series. It's been semi-updated. It is closed. It doesn't have the double R to go signs. Um, and it, yeah, it's empty. Uh, you know, why do we see the bridge that, that, uh, what's I'm not sure it's Ronette's bridge, but it looks like it lo bridge, I think yeah. you, I think you're supposed to interpret it as. I thought that, that. was a train bridge, to be honest. I, I haven't been, we haven't been to. That's true. North no, Benson yeah. Because the guy's throwing the, the, the yeah, switch there. Yeah. yeah. So it's probably not, but it's reminiscent of it mm -hmm. at least. Um, yeah. So I think there's, there's quite a bit of that, you know, why did, why, but why do they call it twin peaks? You know, in the real world, it's Snoqualmie and it's nowhere near the, the Canadian or, well, it's nowhere near the, the, the location Eastern that border. we're given yeah. to, for twin yeah. peaks. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Would he, would he call it twin peaks still and know that it's just actually Snoqualmie and it's in a different location or, mm -hmm. you know, what is, what is that all? How does that all shake down? And yeah. I'm not sure. It doesn't. That one doesn't really speak to me in the same way. But uh, it's totally valid theory. In my mm -hmm. mind. Yeah. There are other theories. Like uh, we 
briefly touched on them in our um, hot take podcast about mm-hmm. um, kind of some of the mythological readings and and the illusions that are being made there to things like the Odyssey with um, the town of Odessa and mm-hmm. this literal Odyssey back to Twin Peaks that Cooper and Laura are both kind of undertaking mm-hmm. um, with Orpheus and Eurydice, which uh, many people have talked about much more eloquently than I'm sure we could um, being referenced pretty directly in the forest scene. Yep. Um, there's also some interesting reads. I mean, we just watched Vertigo last night and uh, it's one of David Lynch's favorite films and one that he's actually come out and cited as a, as a favorite. So um, there's some, there's some really interesting um, similarities between yeah, yeah thematic yeah. similarities and stuff between you know Scotty Ferguson's attempt to uh, a save Madeline failing to save Madeline going into some kind of fugue state mm-hmm. uh, for an undetermined period of time and then coming out of it and seeing her double yeah. and remaking her in the image of the original and then losing her at the end, which seems to mirror a lot of what Cooper goes through, not just in the return and not just in part 18, but going back to the beginning, you know, Cooper becoming obsessed with this idea of finding her killer and then um, being drawn into this town and then pulled into this underworld like place for 25 years and then coming out of it and seeing her double and remaking her in or trying to make her become uh laura palmer again um and maybe failing i don't know but it's 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 very interesting and i mean there the links go back i mean people have been watching vertigo since they heard about maddie ferguson in the original like in season one of twin peaks the the links were drawn from the beginning and then with Judy added on top of it and the fact that Scotty Ferguson is a detective and Agent Cooper is a detective and all of this stuff like the the links aren't brand new it is really interesting to look at it that way mm-hmm. um it's probably nothing more than an homage but it still feels relevant in a, in a sense mm-hmm. round two fight So we are going to have it out right here, right now. We're going to decide which theory is right. <laughs> no, we're uh, not. In perpetuity. <laughs> we're just going to anger each other to the point uh, where we end up filing for divorce at the yeah, end of this probably. podcast. But we've we've been discussing this for two weeks now. Um, we have some fundamental disagreements yes. about it. And we wanted to share those disagreements with our uh, adoring listeners. Uh, so, I wouldn't call them adoring. Especially after this. Uh, <laughs> but we are of two minds about the ending, obviously, mm-hmm. as you've probably figured out by listening. Um, mine, my view is that Cooper succeeded. Mm-hmm. His return was successful because he's brought Laura back and successfully defeated Judy. You take the mind that Cooper is a failed hero. Yes. And uh, he's stuck in a, an eternal well of damnation. You wrote life. that. Those I wrote are that your down. words, not mine. Well, but I accept them. They because... are. Yes. <laughs> yes. So please describe for me, Lindsay. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about the, the loop theory and, the, uh-huh. and the, the, you know, kind of eternal recurrence almost of Cooper's being stuck in this, in this attempt to save Laura over mm-hmm. and over again. And, and I definitely do see that. But how do you address the issue that it's not Cooper we see at the end. Or at least it's not the naive, foolish, go chipper, go-happy Cooper who got stuck in the, the Black Lodge to start with 25 years ago. Um, and that we see uh, a more balanced Mr. C-esque thing. 
uh, in Odessa? Well, I think it's it's kind of self-explanatory that we have, uh, well, you just said it yourself, that there's a recombination of the split. The split happens. I do buy into that theory that John Thorne espoused 20, uh, however many years ago it was that he, that he wrote um, his essay, Not Half the Man I Used to Be, mm-hmm. I think is what it's called, um, that this was a literal split between Good Cooper and Bad Cooper, um, and that this is somehow a rejoining of Cooper's dark side and his good side that reasserts itself as Richard in the final part of yeah. part 18. Okay. So why do you think he's still so gung-ho to do what's quote unquote right? And he wants to be the hero and he wants to save the girl. If he's tempered by this, this knowledge and this, this awareness of evil in the world. Why, well, why I'm not sure how that does that it's, work? I'm not sure that it's knowledge of it. I think it's just the possession of uh, the, the recognition that there are two sides of him that have come together. I, I don't think the Cooper, any Cooper that we've seen up until this point was the whole Cooper. Yeah. I think the Cooper that we saw in part in season one and two is um, some kind of idealized version of himself repressing that negative side. I've said this yeah. for a long time that that's what leads him to fail in the lodge. Yeah. And that lodge test um, causes him to split, literally split into two. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because he repressed his, his dark side. So it's not that he, in gaining back his dark side, I don't think he gains back any sort of special knowledge or, or anything. It's just, um, a recognition that he can do great good and he can do great evil. He can he can help people understand um, their love of green tea lattes and he can murder yeah. um, Daria in cold blood. Yeah. You know, it's, it's these two things that come together in, um, in one being. Okay. So it's, and it's just the fact that, that it's, that it's, balanced now in some respect is I think that's in itself enough of an explanation for how he can think that he's doing the right thing but actually be doing the wrong thing because human beings are flawed and and we maybe have the best of intentions but we still hurt people and we can maybe think what we're doing is absolutely 100% going to work and we can still fail miserably and I think that's that's very it's a very humanizing thing for Cooper to have to go through, especially considering that he is, he's such an incandescent hero in terms of Lynch's heroes, no. like the stable of heroes that you see. Well, if you want to call him that. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah, mean, well, the protagonist. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's, he's singular. He is, um, he's so, so different from anybody else that we've seen. And I, I really don't see that, there's any explanation that would satisfy me for why Laura would have to ha- would have to be brought back home and have to be re-traumatized unless Lynch was commenting on what's fundamentally still being misunderstood by Cooper. Because if we're looking at this as Cooper's firewalk with me, which is a really simplistic way of looking at it, um, there, there's a realization that he hasn't come to yet, I think. And that's why in, in my article that I wrote for 25 years later, um, I called it the continuing education of Dale Cooper because he's still learning what is required of him 
to succeed, I feel. And you can take a completely opposite view to that. Yeah, but I, I feel like <laughs> I know you do. So um, but but I feel like any other explanation for bringing Laura back there and having having her trauma be necessary for this evil to be brought down feels like it is counter. It runs completely counter to the message of fire walk with me, which I really do feel was, was completed that David Lynch approached that as a completed idea. Mm -hmm. So bringing her back from that, there has to be a good reason for that. And I don't feel like any other explanation does it justice to one thing about that uh, in relation to fire walk with me. I totally agree with you. The film that we got made it feel like Laura's story was complete. We've talked about that many times. He did originally when he was writing that thing. And I know the script changed many times, but, um, there was two other movies planned after that. Sure, yeah. And I don't think he was getting rid of Laura as a central character at any time soon. Maybe not. Um, so I don't think... I think the fact that that ended the story of Laura's life, but she continued to exist 25 years later. Um, she was in that in-between space. So I, I don't think that that was the whole story of Laura. I think that was the story of Laura's abuse and her trauma and okay. her torture. But that ended with Fire Walk With Me. She got she found her angels and she grew this light inside of her. Okay. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I, I agree that it, it's an easy way to just say, well, if you do anything else with Laura, especially if you make her go and face her, her worst demons, um, it's it's bringing up that trauma. But I, I feel like this is this is an ex, this is an expansion of Laura's character. Um, instead of just saying, well, she'd just be victimized. No, she's going to shoot the fucker in the head. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really yeah, feel okay. like that that was an important, important scene that we got of Carrie Page because, um, uh, you know, wherever this Laura had gone for the 25 years since Cooper pulled her away, um, she didn't, you know, she didn't have an easy life, but she, she did not fall back into just being a victim. And I feel like saying that sending Laura in there and, and, uh, having her scream when she faces the trauma of her past doesn't, doesn't just doom her to uh, suffer the trauma. It gives her a chance to move beyond it and to do something else with her life because viewing Laura as just a victim still kind of does a disservice to her. Um, And fire walk with me was an amazing expression of her as a victim, but it was also, you know, it was her putting on the ring. It was her choosing to die her having the agency to do something. The fact that we don't get that here uh, is, you know, the, the scream is the final thing of the series. And then that's the end of it. Uh, we don't get to see whether or not that actually happened or whether or not. So it's, it's very open to that interpretation, but I think it's still, a, I think it's the much better interpretation to say that. Well, it's a happier interpretation. It's a happier think, interpretation. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the better one Well, because, because <laughs> the, literally the final, the final scene we get is back in the red room. So, I mean, I, I, I don't think that's a scene. I think that's. Okay. That's fine. And you can think that I think it is. So that's just, this is why we call this bickering peaks because we're probably not going to agree. Well, yeah, so no, we'll just have to agree to disagree on that. <laughs> but that's where I'm coming from. It's just that I view yeah. it as a continuation of this theme of of what they're going through yeah um to come back to this idea that she has agency in in the return in that final uh i i guess maybe it's 45 minutes or half an hour or whatever from the time that cooper shows up on her doorstep that i don't get the sense that she has much of a choice though cooper was gonna bring her back there 
and was going to be relentless in getting her back to Twin Peaks. That was his singular focus. Like, he doesn't even acknowledge the fact that there's a dead guy on the couch. So, and and I mean, the way that he moves through the diner as well, um, there's there's something very shark-like about that, that he's, he's um, yes, doing good. He is. He's, he's trying to help this uh, waitress. I think her name is Christy. He's trying to help her get away from these, you know, leering, mean cowboys, abusive, yeah. mean cowboys. Um, but he goes about it in a very threatening way and not at all in a way that that is typical of someone who is purely good and purely has has well, yeah. the best of intentions because it's it's that combination of, of him and no, the bad I th- side. I think he has pure intentions. He's just not... He's willing to do the dirty work that it takes to see them through. And that's what I'm saying. He has good intentions to bring Laura back and he's willing to do the dirty work, which is involves making her face these traumas that she has presumably moved beyond. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I feel well, like it's... I, I, yeah. See, and this is why I like the Tibetan interpretation because Laura has not moved beyond. She's stuck in this, she's stuck in this in-between thing of not being able to remember her past, but being stuck basically uh, living the same experiences over and over again throughout the rest of her life until she wakes up. But why is she there? She's there because Cooper tried to remove her from from the source of her trauma in the past. So he caused Maybe. that for her. I don't I he, see I that. think he interrupted her. She is she's literally a girl interrupted in the in the process of reaching um, an enlightenment that she chose. She was interrupted. She was intercepted and diverted from but, that place that she would have maybe reached that enlightenment and gone beyond Bardo to get there. I'm I'm just I, no, spitballing here. Okay, but. yeah, no, fair enough. But I I I think she's she jumps into uh, she takes Cooper's hand. You know, I, I I don't think it's just Cooper pulling her. It is Laura following him and wanting to go somewhere. Right. And when she asks, "Where are we going?" She's not scared. By the fact that she's going home. She's like, I, I not only trust this, like, I feel like their relationship in the final scene, too, it's very mutually beneficial. It's it's kind of a weird, you know, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like a trade is happening. Like, you need to get out of town. I need to get you here. We're both on the same page, basically. Like she says, you know, I need to get out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. She She's like, yes, I will follow you to sure. my home, wherever this is, um, with him. And... You know, I'm, I'm kind of wondering who actually removes her from that thing. Uh, it it might be the fireman does it. That's what I was saying, that oh. it's the fireman who takes her from that place yeah. to put her in, to keep her safe so that Cooper can't bring her back home. Yeah. that's That was my point when I was mm. talking about that earlier. Okay, okay. But maybe it, it still might be Judy. I don't know, because, I mean... But then if, if that is Judy who is removing her, yeah. why wouldn't Judy just have destroyed her? Because she can't. Cause Why Laura, can't she? Because Laura's too strong. <laughs> Laura's okay. too powerful. I mean, that, well, that'd be my but, interpretation. But I feel like that uh, is kind of... It doesn't match up because we see... I mean, the the popular assumption is that somehow Sarah and Judy are coexisting. Or connected. With, or, or connected in some, some way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I buy that necessarily just because it really complicates Sarah's... Um, yeah, everything her, about Sarah. Everything about <laughs> yeah, Sarah yeah. From, from season one onward, if she's been inhabited by Judy from when? Like, did it start? If she is the fricket girl, then is that when Judy, you know, crawled inside her mouth? And she... Yes. So has she been... I know you think Yeah, that, yeah, definitely. But has she, if she has been that whole time, if she's yeah. been Judy that whole time, then it it 
it it makes me rethink a lot of about what I you know the trauma that she went through in in season one and two. But 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 I think that's not that that's a bad thing. But I just don't like it. Yeah. No. Well, and that's and that's my problem with <laughs> with that is that. Uh, re-examining Sarah's character adds a bunch more depth to me. I think it makes her far more interesting to go back and watch season one as this drugged woman whose true powers, even for evil, have been swept under the rug by Bob. It would explain why Leland needs to drug her all the more because Bob is, you know, kind of been whispering in his ear, like, you need to keep her down. You you can't let her see that white horse too often. Well, and and I mean, there's some idea that Bob having gone rogue they need to rein him in somehow so that he can be the garmambosia harvester that he always was mm-hmm. instead of keeping it for himself because it always seemed like that was the conflict between bob and mike yeah and if judy is somehow like if these are like middle management guys in the <laughs> in the lodge then judy is like the ceo yeah. and she's you know she's now stepping in because mike screwed up and now she's gonna you know call him to task yeah um that could explain why Mr. C slash Bob needs to get back there for some kind of confrontation there on the side of evil. Um, but it, I mean, it, it doesn't matter because what we get with if, if Sarah and Judy are connected, we see her destroying the portrait in at the end of part 17 in in a complete, you know, apoplectic. Yeah, she's in a fit. fit. Yeah. And she can't destroy it. She can destroy the glass. But she can't destroy the portrait. Yeah. And that, that scene loops over and over again, which suggests to me that um, that Judy, if Judy is Sarah, is not involved at all in the removal of Sarah, of Laura, that she's reacting to the fact that Laura has now been removed. Yeah. So that's what, what suggests to me that, that the fireman or the White Lodge has removed her yeah. from this, the timeline of events, which means that if the fireman has removed her, the fireman wouldn't tell Cooper to go find her again unless he's That's telling, true. you know, like it, it doesn't make a lot of sense in that way, <laughs> which is why I think that the fireman, his, uh, his edict is a warning. Yeah. Jeffrey's what he's saying is a warning that you're going down a path that a is infinite and slippery. As Jeffrey says, here are the guideposts, the giant slash fireman says, and Cooper's not listening. So it just it just makes it messy. And, and I like the complicated nature of that because um, having a hero who is entirely perfect and who can always succeed is not realistic. Mm-hmm. And and I think taking Cooper down a notch to you know really simplify it, it's bold. It's a bold move on Lynch and Frost's part yeah. to, to you know kind of sully their hero's reputation and his name and that, that's, everything that goes that's along true and i mean it definitely you're just an optimist you just want him to well, succeed all no, the time well, no I, I i don't know if if succeeding is is the right word i i i don't know we've i think the small snippet we get of richard's character um is, is encouraging to me because i i i absolutely agree that Cooper's failing in the original series and what made it work so well was that he he was not accepting the fire that he had to walk with, yeah, to, yeah. to put it simply. Uh, and I, I, I so I really love the Richard character. I, that is probably one of my favorite scenes of all time is in the diner. It uh, really is great. It is. It is so good. And yeah. it, it, it's just small nuances in Kyle MacLachlan's. Uh, well, it's almost thing. nothing from him. Like well, he, he, it's yeah. like blank. It's but wonderful. It's exactly, but it, it, but so somehow subtle. it does connect yeah. all these characters. Like the way he puts his arm up on the yeah. tin is Mr. C. 
but also Cooper. Like yeah. Cooper would be calm and relaxed and he'd just be like, well, what, what are you talking about? But yeah. it has that sinister undertone. Yeah. And, and so it, it's, it, it is really, really compelling to watch. Um, and it's really, really amazing to me to, uh, to think that this is the Cooper that we, we kind of always needed. Mm-hmm. This is the Cooper. If anybody is going to succeed at killing two birds with one stone, it's this Cooper. So I feel like if this Cooper fails, then, then it is just, everything is a complete failure. And, and that, that does get to me a little bit because that also means that, that Laura's failing in, in, in some way as well. Like that, that's, I get, I think that's my biggest problem is how do you interpret the ending uh, of Laura's scream and the lights going out in, in your perfect interpretation. Is it just that she's being re-traumatized and the lights going out are like the lights of her innocence refading kind of thing and then we start it over again? Or... Aiden, I don't know. <laughs> Fatality! <laughs> I honestly then I'm going to declare victory no, and walk away here. No, you can't declare yeah, victory. No, you're on the ropes, honey, Sarah. I'm sorry because... <laughs> Because I think, I mean, it's it's the last shot. It's the most important part of the ending. I well, mean, I mean. Except for your view of the. Yeah. Credits. So, yeah. so if I, if, if I may. By all means. Um, punch back a little bit. <laughs> if it's not the end and if we are being treated to some kind of loop, then the, the lights going out could just be this universe winking out of existence mm. and the loop restarting Everyone's again getting and, sent and back, yeah. you know back to starting positions and uh and that's that's probably the closest explanation that i'd be satisfied with it it's still i mean i'm not going to say that it's it's satisfying by any stretch of the imagination it it satisfies my need for um a certain level of complexity and it doesn't tie everything up neatly in a bow. It leaves open the possibility that we could have more Twin Peaks, even if that exists only in my imagination or fan fiction or uh, some kind of, you know, fan work, uh, a graphic novel or, you know, Mark Frost book might might be well, yeah, add I'm, more. But- I'm really interested in seeing how he approaches like what well, what comes out of that book right. that supports any of these theories of anything or are we gonna have 15 new ones well it's probably not going to be anything to be honest i put out our bix riddick predicts this week and it was uh yes. you know mm. what could possibly be the central mystery of the final dossier <laughs> and i'm betting anything it'll be like you know an exploration of does chip have a phone now <laughs> What's going on with Jade? Where's Michael Bisping? Honestly, (laughs) those are the key questions that were raised by the series. I mean, it'll just be—it'll just be like you know. I don't think it'll be—it'll illuminate anything to any great degree. I hope it doesn't. I hope it just asks more questions because that's where I'm deriving the most pleasure. You know, I I I agree. But if I was Mark Frost, (laughs) I would I would say this is because if and if I'm done with the series, I'm saying you know what. We've been doing this for 30 years. I'm done. I'm done with this. Tap out. Here's, here's how I want to interpret the ending. Give yeah. it, give some strong hints of maybe here's how I would interpret everything. Um, and then be able to walk away and say, you know what, David, you, you leave it open the way you want. I need a little bit more closure for me and my interpretation of things. And the fans are going to take whatever they want. Most people who watch the series probably aren't going to buy the book. They're not going to read the book. So the vast majority of people who are just talking online and thinking about the series, can continue but if it was me 
I would want to offer that closure. But yeah, and it's we'll possible see. that that's what we'll get. But um, it still leaves open this idea of whether or not Cooper succeeded or failed. And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think you and I are going to come to any sort of conclusion. But I think that's what's beautiful about the series is that this is a debate that other people are having. And it's a worth worthwhile one because uh, it brings up this idea of, of you know, a, a Lynch quote that has been brought up a lot, that what you know is valid and what you think and what you experience is valid. I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, mm-hmm. but it it's it's all equally possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the beauty of the end of the return is that it, it leaves open this possibility um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to Time for Cakes and Ale, their podcast for the finale, um, Bex gives a really great, like, final half hour of their five-hour um, podcast episode. And the final half hour is is tremendous for that. In in the same vein, it talks. she talks about the, uh, the fact that if there are a million people watching the show, there are going to be a million different interpretations and a million different Twin Peaks that exist for them. And that's kind of beautiful. Yeah, it is. I love it. Yeah. And then that's what great art does. It lets you it leaves it open to interpretation. So Absolutely. Well done. So we had a couple more kind of questions. Uh more large scale stuff about the the series overall, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, how it connects to other things. Um so we'll just we'll just jump into these and, and we'll just get our thoughts out here and mm-hmm. we'd love to hear your guys' thoughts as well on these ones because uh, these are kind of the bigger questions about how did the series work and yeah. and how does it connect to all the other things that we've seen and, and loved along the way. Um, so our first one is how does the return fit in with Firewalk with Me and the original series? And I think we kind of meant that like thematically and in terms of structure and did it provide kind of a... Um, closure and it's kind of also answering the question about uh from the very start of this which is how well are these going to be connected to just plot wise and stuff like that right um and obviously it, it how did you feel it did plot wise like just like picking up where season two episode 21 or whatever 28 or whatever it was uh, <laughs> 22 the, 22 yeah uh wherever that one left off how did it pick up 25 years later do you felt like well, it did a good job of that it's it's I don't think that was ever going to be its point, yeah. the point of this, right? Like exactly. it was it was going to be, this is 25 years later, and um, it, it really does come down to this, um, the, the story was always about trauma, the trauma of, of this abuse that happened and then how the town reacted to it. The fact that, that the return took such a wide angle view on like just simply the fact that it most of it took place in other locales other than Twin Peaks was I mean this was never going to be a return to the Twin Peaks that we thought about yes so it story-wise it doesn't matter how it how it ties in with the original series I think the original series and the return are kind of two separate entities yeah and they kind of the return kind of encapsulates the original series yeah i feel almost like the original series was a single stepping stone yeah and then 
we jumped onto an entire pile of rocks in the return. You yeah. Know? Like the, the, like it the became original cosmologically series, massive. Yes, you know? exactly. It literally expanded the scope so much that it really does. I think it's going to make the original series hard to watch again uh, because it's just so simple. It, it is, it is, I mean, think about how crazy that sounds that this show that redefined television in the nineties is now just going to be like, oh, well, it's just kind of like a police procedural with, you know, some, some supernatural soap opera elements and supernatural and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. thrown on top, um, except for maybe the last episode. Whereas, um, but I think it's interesting there because Fire Walk With Me is kind of like this middle ground, much more than I think we gave it credit for. Um, well, we always knew that it was going to be very important. Lynch told us that. Yeah. And... Uh, and then the fact that we literally have footage from Firewalk with me in the final episode yeah. is tremendous. That it it's just underscoring how important it was, um, and that ties into a larger conversation about Lynch's, you know, body of work because Firewalk with me was really this bridge between his like first stage yeah. stuff and like erase her head to fire walk with me kind of is one thing yeah and then lost highway to the return now yeah is it's different it's, it's, different. it's it is, fundamentally it is different very different yeah and and i've um like it deals with with this idea of like shifting realities and shifting identities and um dreams and yeah, yeah and and that is kind of touched on in firewalk with me in a sense we've got dreams we've got some elements of time travel sort of with annie mm-hmm. um we have shifting identities with like bob morphing into leland morphing back into bob mm-hmm. during that one scene and um or a couple of scenes actually yeah. so so it's starting to play with those ideas but it also functions very literally in terms of uh well at least the twin peaks section of yes. it feels very linear in a plot way yeah but then you have the beginning part with chet desmond and sam stanley that you know it's easy looking back on it to read that as a dream yeah and to see that as cooper imagining himself as somebody else because you know once you've seen lost highway and mulholland drive and inland empire it's like of, of course this could be possible yeah. that he's re- recast himself in in a kind of Wizard of Oz like dream to better understand what's been going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Fire Walk with Me as a whole feels like it's more of a seed for what's coming next. It's mm-hmm. not directly related, but it's the bridge yeah. between David Lynch's early works and the late stage stuff that he's been doing. And I think it's really interesting that the the original series, um, you know, when, even the, the craziest episodes, well, maybe not the finale. But uh, the uh, the episodes that he directed up to that point, they felt very blue velvety in, yeah, in, a, in yeah. a lot of ways. They were they were a little darker than most television, um, but they they still followed uh, conventional expectations. So it was very uh, blue velvet. Uh, and remembering also that this was on ABC. Well, that, that's what I'm and saying. It had yes, to for, be. Yeah, obviously. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But it was boundary pushing. I mean, the, the of course the death of Maddie is. It's crazy even by today's standards, but um, it it hadn't it hadn't gone into the supernatural. It hadn't gone into the red room. It hadn't delved into dreams and like much like dreams as a reality. Yeah, which is you know and and yeah multiple realities and changing realities and shifting everything, um, which is what makes Mulholland Drive and Lost Highway and The Return especially now uh, feel so distinctive. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lynch's films have always been distinctive. Eraserhead was 
hugely distinctive the yeah. instant it came out. Um, but you but know, it's different. But somehow. it's different, and yeah. it's it's also you know there were there was the straight or the simple story and straight story, the straight story and. Uh, Wild at Heart, which were very simple, kind of straightforward movies, um, lacked any of that kind of playing with reality. Um, and you're right. So the original series very much harkens to those. You're right. Fire Walk With Me is this middle ground. It yeah. is, if we're going to go back to my stone metaphor, it's a single It's a single rock for the original series. It is like a, a healthy mound for mm-hmm. Fire Walk With Me. And then there's there's this island of, of the return. Um, but it feels like a natural progression. And... Mm-hmm. You can get it just by watching them, just those three pieces, the series, Firewalk With Me, and The Return Now. Right. But I think it is elevated a little bit by watching not just The Blue Velvet and The Eraserheads, um, but The Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive especially. Yeah. Uh, Inland Empire is kind of its own thing, but it... It, it, it still deals with very similar very subject similar matter and, and in the same sort of mode. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, when we talk about um, The Return being like a quote-unquote magnum opus, that's what people are talking about is the fact that it not just call... It it doesn't just call back to everything that came before it, but it almost feels like a summation mm-hmm. of everything. And going down from, from, like, thematic elements, the way that it's filmed, uh, the cast, the number of, of yeah. returning actors that David Lynch cast in this... Um, it's all lending itself to this kind of idea that that this is, uh, um, I don't know what to call it. I don't. I don't want to call it a retrospective, but but it almost feels like we're looking back on on everything that's come before it. And this is, at least for right now, this is where the the cosmology of David Lynch exists yeah. is with and the it's return. Come to a, it's come to a conclusion almost too. Well, and that's what like I mean, like yeah. for now. Yeah. So I mean, that doesn't mean that that he won't have more to say on it four or five years from now. Um, but right now, it does feel very complete, mm-hmm. and maybe people aren't going to be happy with that. But it 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 fits into a larger progression of David Lynch's works mm-hmm. from his early short films all the way through now to the end of the return that is, is linear up to a point. And then as Martha Nothenson says, he swerves to lost highway, but this is where we've ended up Mm -hmm. and it makes sense and it fits. Yeah. Um, And and yeah, I I think it just, it does add something to, to be familiar with those other works. Sure. Absolutely. And that's why, that's part of the reason why we're going to be, after we've done this episode and and returned to listening post alpha with time for cakes and ale, um, we'll be looking at David Lynch's entire film catalog Mm -hmm. um, and TV catalog. We may come back to on the air. I'm not sure, but uh, there's the hotel hotel room, hotel room. And uh, did you know the mini series? Well, he did the rabbits uh, web yeah, series right. and stuff, which we might. So watch. I mean, I mean, these are things that that I think will will lend themselves to closer inspection and might shed some light on some of the things that we've seen in the return. Mm-hmm. That um, I, I mean, I think our goal will be to turn some of you Twin Peaks fans into David Lynch fans yes. by the end of this. But um, that's kind of our mission statement, I think, going forward. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely. Um, it fits somehow. It feels it feels very fitting. And I think that's why I'm so satisfied with where we're at right now. Yeah. Just because when you look at it as a whole and not just as a continuation of Twin Peaks, because I don't think that's what it is. I don't think this was ever meant to function as a continuation of the Twin Peaks stories. No. 
and people who are focusing very, very hard on the plot and making it make sense and, and who want tie ups to, you know, Norma and Ed and Shelly and Bobby and all of these things. And I want them too, but, but that was never going to happen. Yeah. And, and it doesn't feel like it's really necessary anymore because, um, and I mean, we can talk about that now that, that I think that's kind of what, what the point of this was, is that, you know, we leave some of these things open so people can imagine them ending however they want, but it, it does have a finality to it and it does have an internal kind of cohesion, um, or coherence that, that fits with, with yeah. everything that's, that's come before it. Another thing that we we talked about before it launched was once Lynch kind of described it as an eight hour film, we were like, okay, this mm-hmm. is different. Let's see how this goes. So I thought it worked quite well. Um, I thought it was a very you know interesting approach. Um, it felt much more episodic than I think I expected. Uh, the roadhouse scenes as closers, uh, the you know the fact that you know a part eight a part eight was a distinct part. Um, he still approached it as distinct chunks of storytelling each part still feels pretty separate and distinct Mm -hmm. uh and it's i mean there's obviously there's storylines are crossing over across multiple things and and everything is is very kind of slow paced overall um which you know definitely contributes to it feeling like a film uh but i kind of i was hoping for a little bit more like paradigm busting i guess you know i was hoping for like one part is you know 98 minutes long and there's Mm. one that's 24 uh because that was the little chunk that needed to be told that way whereas here it felt like he had so much material that he's like yeah now i'm gonna throw in 30 seconds of sunny jim and cooper playing ball (laughs) even though it doesn't fit with the plot or anything um and we talked about that as throughout the throughout the series right so i think there was uh i think it was a little bit of a letdown to be entirely honest um I feel like this show did many things to change my the way I understand television. Uh, or what it's capable of. Or yeah, what exactly, like what television can do. Um, but it still did, it did not feel like an 18-hour film so much as it felt like the next phase of television. Um, which might be the fact that they're just blurring together at this point. That mm-hmm. uh, this is so close. Uh, to a film that uh, television has, has basically come along with, which is fair to say. It could be that um, when talking about this as an 18-hour film, it means more more film-like in the way it was conceived and executed yeah. as opposed to how it was presented because it is being presented in the medium of television, which necessitates a certain structure that we... It's just how it is. It's how television has always been. It's presented in half hour or hour long chunks every week. And that's just how it works. Exactly. And there's, there's different directors usually. There's, there's different approaches to it. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this was a cohesive thing yeah. the way a film is so yeah. I, I guess that way it does definitely so make sense. so if you look at it that way it's it, it was never meant i mean i don't think anybody would say that it was meant to be binged that's why it wasn't released all at once mm-hmm. as much as we and we did when we watched um uh, that sunday before yeah. we watched part one well we didn't watch it the all weekend. at once but yeah. that whole weekend we spent part one to part 16 we watched right before part 17 and 18 and, and i 
I preferred it that way, to be honest. Uh, I thought it added. But didn't quite a bit. it? Didn't it feel more when you watched it? And you remarked on this that that some of the scenes. It wasn't that time, but when we when we rewatched parts nine through thirteen after we got back from Paris, you remarked on the fact that Mister C disappears for at the time it was like three weeks we didn't see Mr. C on screen yeah, and then like but if you only have to wait three hours for him to appear, it felt like a natural yeah, break much from him. more. Yeah, you're just so, like, oh yeah, well now he's here. That so watching it as a whole eighteen hours does help in that sense that mm-hmm. it, it does make it feel like um those long breaks are suddenly necessary. Mm-hmm. Whereas before they felt um, almost too long and, and drawn out in well, a way that was distracting. Yeah, and when you were watching it one hour a week, mm-hmm. it, it was very much like, I want to get to the plot line that I'm interested in. Whereas sure. when you're binging it, you're actually like, okay, now let's go here. Oh, Because you're not, you know that your plot line is coming back yeah. till hour 17, unfortunately. But, you know, you know that you are going to come back to Mr. C, wherever he is. And you know you're well, going to follow Chantel and Hutch somewhere. It helps to know where you've been. Like to rewatch it as yes. a binge watch is different than watching it the first time as a binge watch, which is how Something we, we watch. No, we couldn't do that this time, but we did it with the original Twin Peaks and... And mm-hmm. in some ways, I feel like that was detrimental because we didn't have to wait week to well, week. We, would, we never would have finished <laughs> season two no, <laughs> if we didn't if, if we it. had been watching it in 1990, yeah, we probably would have... No, we would have given up and been like, this is up. crap. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, maybe not us. We, we might have you, enjoyed it. You would have kept I going. I would have been going. like, oh, you're still watching that? <laughs> oh, you have little yeah, faith. I know. I know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it changes the way that you look at the show and um, it affects the way you interpret it and it affects the way you feel about it. And if experiencing the return is as important as understanding it, then the experience we had is exactly the experience we were supposed to have. Mm. It was crafted in that way yeah. for us to experience it as a long film one week at a time. Yeah. And so I, I'm I'm very grateful that we had that opportunity to watch it week to week. I think that making us sit in it for a week and making us consider it in that way um, yeah. was was necessary. Even though it was filmed as a, as a movie, that's why they presented it as a TV show. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it, no, it totally. Feels... And, and I think that was one of the most amazing parts was the whole experience of guessing exactly. what's coming and theorizing and, and analyzing and mm-hmm. all that stuff. I mean, I wrote a, an essay for 25 years later uh after part eight, when there was that two right. week interregnum, uh, and I, you know, I was just talking about how revolutionary this show is for t- television, especially mm-hmm. after part eight. It was easy to say that, right? Um, and now I think back, and I'm like, well, a lot of those comments are kind of silly or foolish or whatever because you didn't have the full picture. But it was a great experience to do that analysis every week, of course, and, and to think about it and to debate the the points and stuff. Yeah. And and that was that was really really cool. I really am interested in like, I have a couple friends who uh, and work colleagues, Simon, who was on our Firewalk with Me uh, episode. He has not yet watched the return, but yeah. he said he would. So. Uh, I'm going to press him to binge it <laughs> and let us know. If, Don't experiment on the poor guy again. I, I already did, yes. I've experimented Aww. on him many times and this will continue. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm wondering what he'll think if he watches it over a long weekend. Well, know, I wonder if, like if the compulsion will be there for him, mm. having not seen it, to to watch it one after the other. Is well, Are you going to be desperate for the next part the way that we were, knowing that we'd have to wait a week? And and I think the finale, the, the ending is really going to be the most changed experience i think because 
we been the last time we binged it, we didn't know how it ended. Yeah. I think binging it as uh, aware of the ending, uh, or more importantly, binging it without being aware of what's coming in the ending. Right. Um, having it just roll over you after you've just invested these 18 hours yeah. of your precious weekend <laughs> on this and then having it do that to you will it have the same effect as what it had to us when we were waiting over whatever 13 weeks or days, whatever yeah, yeah yeah to to get to that same point or right. will it feel different so i don't know and that's yeah. a good question it's something that that i mean the scholarship is experiment. <laughs> i guess but <laughs> it's why this is this is uh the 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 work is only just beginning now that we we aren't done with analyzing this and looking at it from different points of view and and considering it and theorizing about it not just in terms of what happened but what does it mean i will tell you three things So we've asked John three questions. He has given us three answers. Um, this is our last week with John as our resident uh, guru. We really have to give a big shout out to this guy because um, not only was he the first person to admit that he listened to us regularly, mm-hmm. which kind of makes him certifiable. All of you people, you yeah, crazy people who, who listens to us time. every week. Um, he was our he was our first champion and our first big fan. Uh, long before we even had uh, the, our Bickering Peaks Twitter, he was contacting us individually on our personal accounts. Um, he he does a column every week for 25 years later. He's a machine. But on top of all of that, he was um, very willing and he approached us about doing this, this segment because um, he loves Twin Peaks so much. And he brought so much to this discussion, not just for us, but also for Sparkwood in 21. So... Um, he, he's gone above and beyond. He's like a silent partner, literally because you haven't heard him speak on our podcast since way back in the Diane Keaton episode, which he helped us recap back in season two. Um, he's been a silent partner all along. Bickering Peaks would not be what it is today without John Bernardi's help. So um, we really need to dedicate this final episode to him. For the last time, he he's given us his three answers. And... Uh, These are the questions we asked him. Yes. First question. Is Judy in Sarah? His answer? No, that seems too simple for an ultimate power to be inside someone. Maybe some place, like Allie, who's one of our coworkers at uh, 25 years later. As she says, the Palmer House could be Judy. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Entertainment Weekly guys are leaning toward the Palmer House being the real world Black Lodge rather than just a vortex house. And I can't say that I blame them. And I, I do really like that idea that um, Judy is not a thing or person, um, but manifests itself in a place. Yeah, no, and I I, I really liked, I really uh, appreciate the visual of Judy spewing out the eggs, one of which happens to be the frigate that goes into, mm-hmm. into, into Sarah. I don't think it's Judy itself. I think the household and Sarah are both part of that conduit maybe, yeah. or... You know, maybe the, what we call the Black Lodge is just Judy's uh, resting place, mm-hmm. and that's how you have to find the the path to it. So, mm-hmm. I, I really like that too. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Second question: How do we explain away the paradox of Cooper going back in time to remove the reason why he came to Twin Peaks in the first place? The grandfather paradox. 
And John's response is very brief, and I love it. Uh, Cooper values those around him highly and himself much less than that. <laughs> so he's willing to wipe himself out of existence in order to go and save Laura, which, yeah. That I, I that, that comes up in the, the David Auerbach's piece as well, that this is all part of some grand sacrifice that Cooper makes, which um, John, as an avowed Cooper... Uh, I was going to say apologist, but that's not really it. He's, he's Cooper's champion, yeah. let's say. Yeah. Um, he's been a big Cooper fan since he was a teenager watching the show. Um, that seems like something that John would definitely say. Uh, and it fits, I suppose, with a certain sense that, that Cooper would be self-sacrificial enough to wipe himself yeah. out in order to save the people around him. No, I, I believe it for sure. Yeah. The third question is, how does Richard Cooper... The Richard, the Cooper that we see at the end of the, the show, fit into all of this? Is he a separate character entirely or an amalgam of the three other Coopers we've seen? And the same goes for Carrie. Is she literally Laura reincarnated or is she a lookalike that Cooper has just happened upon and that's enough for her to kind of be swept up in the, the mythos of what we're seeing? John replies that I think Richard is what Cooper thinks is his unified self but I don't believe it. I think he's still basically trapped in a lodge loop, so not even his fully realized, quote unquote, unification is going quite right. I think Carrie's the same deal. Laura trying on what it would be like to have someone else's life, like say Shelley's this time, uh, w- meaning that she's in an abusive relationship, so she's you know trying on these different personalities. I think we touched on this a little bit in in our conversation already. Yeah. That, um, I mean, we both, I think, agree that the Richard that we see at the end is kind of, that unified mm-hmm. person. I think, um, yeah, that's how you're kind of guided to, to mm-hmm. view that. But I mean, there, there's, yeah, there's different possibilities. I don't mind the idea that uh, this is just the Cooper in whatever format or Richard uh, after 25 years in the Black Lodge. He's just a more jaded version of his yeah. older self. He still has a goodness in him, but he's not, he's not happy go lucky anymore. Right. Which I think that's fine. Yeah. It's, it's, it it's too. the kind of guy that you expected to wake up in the, the hospital in part 16. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it fits with that kind of mentality. And especially if he, if he has been reunified with, if there was a split in episode 29 mm-hmm. of the original series yeah. that led to 25 years in the lodge and getting out means that he's unified. Um, in addition to having spent 25 years and yeah. losing 25 years of his life, that, you know, Richard Cooper at the end would be a, a perfectly acceptable version of the guy that we would expect to find at the end of that yeah. journey. Yeah. So, so to shake things up a little bit, mm. we had John ask us a question. And uh, it was a fantastic question. Yes. Um, so just to, to bring it back home, I mean, John's a rock star. <laughs> he's, he's given us something amazing to think about. And that is... How is the return a story, and how is it not a story? And he wanted to ask us this because as storytellers, as novelists and writers, we deal with this all the time. This has been the bent, the the thrust of our entire conversation is how this fits into uh, traditional storytelling and, and uh, literary, literary uh, endeavors, endeavors and, yeah. and how, it, how, it, how it works within these constraints, or doesn't. Um, and yeah, and it's a great it's, question. It's a great question because I almost want to say that it's not a story. And I think that that fits in with what I said earlier about how this is not a continuation of the original Twin mm-hmm. Peaks, but it feels separate somehow. Um, it's it's 
it's almost like this is um, like you, you mentioned that you felt that these parts still felt very uh, quote unquote episodic, which maybe isn't the right term for it, but I almost view them in retrospect as being like vignettes, like allegorical little snippets of allegory or metaphor mm, yeah. that exist to comment on larger themes that are present throughout. So for example, you have um, everything that happened with Shelley and Becky yep. is an allegory or a metaphor for being stuck in a rut and repeating the sins of your parents. Yeah. Whereas Bobby's story is a metaphor or an allegory for... Kind of the same thing. Kind He's kind of, of doing what thing, his father did. But, yeah. but, but living up to the expectations as yeah. well yeah. of a, positive a deceased yeah. father, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's all, the, all this stuff about violence against women is, yeah, you know, drug richer. Use, um, yeah, exactly. With with violence in general, with mm-hmm. gun use and, and references to war. And it feels like all of these are separate. You know, that episode where we had um, fathers, absent fathers mm-hmm. who are absent by choice and absent by uh, not their choice. Yeah. Um, that all felt very, you know encapsulated and and allegorical in that sense that yeah. it, it's commenting on something larger yeah so in that sense that's what i'm that's what i kind of meant when i was talking about how this this is not a continuation of the story of twin peaks this yeah. is this goes beyond that yeah. and why it feels kind of like a summation of everything that came before it yeah and i, I think it's aided a lot by all the surreal aspects that we kind of we questioned and we we took notice of and we said how are they going to resolve this and the fact that they didn't yeah. uh, is very indicative of something I feel it's it's this was not a series that was grounded in a reality that we could identify right we never knew the year we never knew even the dates mostly uh, we never we never got any of those groundings that that narratively you provide to your audience mm-hmm. uh, just as part of part of the business. You know, you say he's in this room and then he goes to this room and then this happens. Uh, we were not provided any of that. No. It, it was, it was literally, it was scene by scene uh, episode or part by part emotional journeys. And, and I think that is uh, what's really, really amazing about this is that it's, it was not like, yeah, like you were saying, it was not a narrative so much as it was a sequence of events that pulled our hearts in various ways. Yes. Um, and and that's that's an amazing thing about David Lynch, especially mm-hmm. uh, that he could do the straight story. Yeah. Uh, which is I, I that's one I haven't actually seen, yeah. but it sounds like it's just a straightforward. It's a straight. It's story. a straight story. <laughs> it's supposed to be a heartwarming story about this guy going to visit his brother, um, and and like Lynch can do that, and then he can do it Inland Empire. Yeah. So he can he can pull you into a haunting surrealism maze of. You know, no idea what's going on, and he can also tell this really direct story that 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 can make you feel happy or sad or however, right? Right. Um, and and the return had it all. It had the kid and his mom running and playing and being happy, and then the Richard running them over and being and evoking that emotion. Uh, it had everything that happened with Dougie being being yes. kind of a very straight story. Yeah. Progressed linearly. Yeah. As linearly. Linearly. As linearly as. You could expect from the return. Exactly. From point to point to point. And 
and it had all these happy endings mm. and it had all this good stuff happen. Yes. And on the flip side of that, you could have the everything audience. that happened. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the with Audrey or, or, you know, the un, the, the non-resolution of Becky, Stephen and Gersten's story. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, or Red, or for Red, example, yeah, yeah. who just shows up and shows then disappears. And, yeah. Like that was meant to comment on, on a larger idea that was present in, in a smaller form in the, the body of an 18 hour piece of work. Yeah. And that is, um, I mean, as writers, it's not something that we've ever been ambitious enough to try. Yeah. And yeah, but it feels like something like Aiden said at the end, he, I think this might've been part of why you were depressed. You're like, I'll never write anything like this. And and I, but I think that's part of the point is that you're supposed to want to it's supposed to spur that creativity and that um, that need for um, not to top it, but to reach it to, you know, uh, to go to these places. It's giving you permission. It's opening those doors. And, and I think I really I mean, it's a it's a it's a feat that's that's really only achievable in film, I feel like uh, maybe and, and, and Lynch's probably one of the best directors around to to do that because he has that range of being funny in dark weird ways yeah uh being horrific yeah being, being horrific. heartwarming yeah exactly like yeah. like each there are there are really good great directors out there um working in popular cinema even um but they don't have that range they yeah. they they you know tarantino can do grotesque and funny side by side but would you want him to direct a romantic comedy well maybe you would i don't know but yeah, well i mean that's kind of what pulp fiction <laughs> kind of I guess, you know yeah, had but, elements of that but you look but, at someone like darren aronofsky yeah. or adam mcgoyan or um well, like, yeah. Uh, the Coen brothers. Yeah. Or, or the Andersons, Paul Thomas and Wes, you know, like, they, sure, they, all, like they, they have their distinct feels, but they don't have quite as much uh, breadth as, as a Lynch does, yeah. really. I mean, he's he's kind of, he manages to work in horror elements on top of his funny elements, on top of his dramatic elements. All in one part. All in one sequence. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that's... It's, it's kind of, it's amazing and daunting. And I think it's like... We're just very lucky that we got to see this. I feel like that's that's the biggest takeaway for me is that we we got to experience this um, first time out, and now this exists in the world. And like we said in our um, in our hot take episode, that this is going to change the way people uh, go forward with yeah. art, with cinema. And you're probably right that it it really does speak to um, filmmakers mm-hmm. specifically. But even for storytellers like us who work in 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 yeah, literary text, yeah. and text, yeah, um, like literal text on the page, um, it still gives you permission to do things differently and to explore things differently. And and literature has always kind of done this in certain ways, but especially with allegory and fables and and stuff like that being used. I mean, the Bible is is arguably yeah the first yeah. Um, yeah. one of these these sweeping allegorical texts also, unless you're a literal you know in, go with a literal interpretation yeah, yeah. of the bible but well no but it has it has individual stories there too that are that are can be read uh allegorically or it can be viewed as just you know a straight story you know of, but they all speak to some larger yeah. um point that is being made and it's not as it the 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 plot itself going from you know, action to action to dialogue to scene to whatever, that's not 
the important thing. It's what larger picture is painted with that. And I think that's what, that's how the return is not a traditional story anyway. It's a different kind of story. Um, and then how it is a story. Is it a story? I mean, I think it is a story. Well, the, I mean, that's the thing that kind of amazed us was that the, after after getting to the finale, parts 1 to 16 did have a pretty recognizable story. Mm-hmm. We were like, yeah, we're watching Cooper go back home. Yeah. And we got it. Yeah. In episode 17, he showed up and Freddie punched out Bob and, and that was that. That sure. was the end of that story. So yeah. it, it definitely felt like it. I mean, the fact that the finale and the, that last part really threw a wrench into that simplistic understanding of it mm-hmm. um, goes a lot to forcing John to ask this question in the first yeah. place. I feel like if we got the ending we kind of wanted after halfway point which is point like 17, it's happy like, at the double yeah, R everybody. Let's go find Audrey wherever yeah. she is and, and you know solve all those things and then yeah. we can go for pie. It's We wouldn't be asking this question about yeah. it not being a story. Um, even though it has yeah. all those elements of playing with us uh, every step along the way yes. it, we would just be like yeah but that was part of the whole story. But the, the ending has 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 just changed all of that. It hasn't undercutted. It's just added something yes. to it that makes you look layer. back. Yeah. And that's part of the loop. It You get to the end and you have to look back at the beginning mm-hmm. because it's all it's all there. You just you can't. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not, it's it's not, not a, loop, a it, but, well, you know, mm-hmm. I know you really you really have your heart set on that one. Unfortunately, it's not true, but we can <laughs> you can jabber on about this because, yeah, it's a great question, John. Uh and yeah, we'd love to hear your guys' interpretations. Yeah, too. how is how is the return a story, and how is it not a story? Mm. Definitely send us your thoughts. We also had some questions we wanted to ask each other. Aiden, why don't you ask your question? Uh, mine is about the success of the series. Was mm-hmm. the return successful? Um, and I I'll leave it to you to answer, but uh, I kind of mean in all the ways. Was it an artistic success? Was it a financial success? Was it um, a ratings? Yeah, ratings. Well, financial, yeah. same thing. But yeah. Uh, you know, was it a success in terms of what we wanted out of the series? Uh, so how, how did you feel? I think absolutely it was an artistic success, even with the things that um, that maybe others would call failings. I still see it as, as a tremendous success artistically. Um, financially or from a rating standpoint, I think Showtime's interest in pursuing more Twin Peaks is yeah, indicative of its... Well. Yes, it yeah. speaks for itself. Um, it... it it's a success in another way, ratings-wise, and we talked about this. You talked about it in your article for 25 Years Later as well, that um, it's forcing us and forcing the industry to look at something other than Nielsen ratings when it comes to saying whether something is a success or not. Because the Nielsen ratings for the show, taken on their own, show it as not being a success. Nice. Because there were a very small fraction of people who watched it in total, watched it on traditional cable via Showtime, the channel, on their TVs. Most people gathered this from Showtime Online or from various streaming sites around the world. And that in itself is, it's a market that hasn't really been codified in a way. Like you can't Netflix has their numbers that they derive in their way and Showtime Online has their well, way. And Well, yeah, Netflix and Hulu, all those ones, they don't declare anything. Exactly. They don't declare what uh, the numbers actually are. They just say it's a success or it's not and mm-hmm. we take them at their word. Yeah. And maybe that will change. Maybe we'll start getting numbers for that. Um, but I think the fact that uh, like Showtime was very open with this, that they said, yes, the Nielsen ratings say that only – so many hundred thousand people watched it and yeah traditionally 
that would be viewed as a failure. Yeah. Considering the other shows that they have that bring in huge numbers or well, shows bigger, yeah. bigger numbers than this, but or compared to, you know, the most watched television show right now, which is um, Game of Thrones, is it not? No, it's uh, Walking Dead. Oh, like, Game of Thrones Dead. is yeah. a close uh, second. Game yeah, of Thrones yeah. as well. Yeah. So, I mean, these are huge shows that bring in millions of viewers. Mm-hmm. Traditional, from yeah, a traditional cable standpoint. Box. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's this this idea of streaming entertainment and streaming content that is now that's where people are headed. Yeah, and, and so and that's where they're making their money, which is really, yes. because I mean, let's face it, Netflix they have so many shows. They are making literally dozens of shows at any given time. Yeah, more than any cable network provider yeah. is doing, let alone a traditional TV network. I mm-hmm. mean, they're literally putting out more shows than networks that have to fill hours of primetime every yes. every single weekday netflix is doing more than that so they're obviously making enough money off yeah. of these shows in order to uh continue producing them and to justify continuing yeah producing exactly them. so i mean showtime the fact that yes there's they're pursuing season four or at least they're open to it and if lynch is lynch frost are i should say um that that's an indication that yes this made the money um, and they expect it to continue making the money. The other thing for Showtime success, I think, is that this is like a Halo show. Even if not many people watch it right now, if it goes and cleans up at the Emmys, they're going to be able to say, look, we beat out AMC yeah. and HBO and everything else. We beat out HBO on the Game of Thrones finale season. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, that's been delayed. So they won't be able to do that. But, you know, if they can beat out, yeah, the biggest shows uh, in the world right now and say, we we've done this, uh, which I think has every chance of because I've watched some of the other premier TV this year and nothing's nothing nothing's close. It. I mean, and none of the critics. I mean, this was almost universally praised. It was it, people went in with pretty low expectations. I think yeah. um, from a critical standpoint because it's a reboot and it was Twin Peaks and it's weird and whatever. But everybody talks about how this was the show to, to watch, watch this show. year, yeah. and I mean. There, there were a lot of critics who were like, "No, I hate it because it's slow and it's boring. And I don't know what's going on and everything." But those right, were they but, were few and far between, and they're generally not the premier prestige critics. That, right. That, that I'm, I'm talking about like the Todd Vanderwerfs and the um, yeah, your AV clubs, your yeah. vultures, your the people who do this professionally and look at a lot of television and analyze it. For yeah, a living. yeah, exactly. This is and and they're. It came away with universal acclaim, mm-hmm. and that's huge. And and yeah, as a Halo show, it would absolutely, even if it doesn't lead to anything more, this opens the door. It's it's like now Showtime can say, look what you can do. It may attract bigger name uh, directors and mm-hmm. auteurs to their network because Showtime is now showing itself to be open to this. Mm-hmm. And then they will get a show like Game of Thrones that will draw in more people. If yeah. they can woo a big name director um, of the caliber of David Lynch to produce something this artistically complex and um, have it be a, a huge success, then that makes it a success on another level, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of its influence and the way it will... Much like the original series did, right? Like this was a show that started off big and then tapered down and and was kind of it it fizzled at the end. Yeah. But everybody looks back on it as this you know saving grace for television. And all the biggest shows that came out of the '90s and the early 2000s credit Twin Peaks for starting that. So that's you know 10 or 20 years from now, the biggest shows of 
the next two decades are going to look back on the return and say, that's what prompted me to do this. Mm-hmm. Well, at least we think so. Well, I hope, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hope, I hope so. so. I, and I have no reason to believe it won't. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, a whole other level of success. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so your question. My question, yeah, it's, it's kind of a summation question, I think. Mm-hmm. What was the return about? And I don't mean from like a plot synopsis yeah, point yeah, of view. Yeah. What was it about? Yeah. And I don't have a great answer for you. I mean, it was the original series was about Laura mm-hmm. and it turned into something a little bit different, especially by the end. It turned into a show about Cooper, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, but this one, it it was. I don't know. I think it, I mean, the one that we've come back to many times is that you can't, you can't return. You can't yeah. come home and it will not be the way you left it. Um, or if, yeah, when you do try, it won't be the way you left it. Um, and I feel like that is, that's kind of the overwhelming and re- repeated message of the series. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it was also um, about coming to, to that realization of your, your two halves. Um, I feel like, Cooper's journey to coming back to Twin Peaks was not over until that fade happened when him and Gordon Cole call for each other's names. And we see Cooper again, kind of in this, this final Richard light. Um, I, I feel like that was always going to be there. Um, and it delivered on that aspect. Um, but, but then there's all those other things about it. It's about, modern day America you know it had all these these issues that it raised about uh you know yeah violence against women violence generally uh drugs and uh repeated cycles and you know all these things that that we've talked about throughout the last whatever 20 episodes we've been talking about this uh it it was it was about all of those things too um, so I really, I don't have a great, great response for you, and I'm sorry. What, what, how would you, can you summarize it well, much better I don't, than I just failed to? I think <laughs> you're much too hard on yourself. <laughs> I think it's, it's definitely, you know, from a thematic point of view, you're right. That's what it, that's what it was about. Um, what was the point of all of it though? I mean, like what was, what was the, the, why did we go here? Mm-hmm. What was, it's something that, that, um, I talked about on Friday night with, um, uh, Eileen and Jen over at 25 Years Later, we did this for a column. We did a little roundtable talking about what was the reason that we returned to Twin Peaks? What was the story that was necessary to be told? And um, you can read our responses in the article, but I think what it comes down to really is is um, that A, it, was, it's, it does feel like it is this kind of comment on the nature of creativity and where we're headed in terms of um art and artistic output um the way that it's open-ended and the way that everybody can draw um different conclusions and that you can have this uh, plurality of of theories that all make sense mm-hmm. and are internally co- coherent and meld with the facts that we have um there's a subjectivity to it that that is really impressive and the fact that that neither lynch or frost will comment on what it means uh, yet i mean we don't know what mark frost will say in the final dossier but the fact that they're being so tight-lipped about it and they won't put their views on it feels like this is an extension of the death of the author 
which is that old concept in, you know, literature that once the, the work is written, the author doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. It becomes up to the reader to read into it yeah, and bring answer. bring all of their experiences to bear and and that's how they understand it. Um more than that, it's 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 just giving us the permission to exist in this world for as long as we need to, as long as we want to, with the recognition that it is a dream and it is manufactured mm-hmm. and we we will need to leave it and that's okay. We can we can come back to it as much as we want. And there's space here for us to um weave our own stories and i'm i'm very interested to see what the next few years bring for the for the community because um there there i'm fully expecting there to be artwork and um fan fiction and fan theories and lots of think pieces and theorizing that goes along with all of this and i think that's that's such a beautiful thing and it's warranted. It's necessary. It's what keeps us alive. It's what we said at the beginning, that this is what we needed. Um, I think that that's part of what the point of it all was. That's what I'm taking from it anyway, that there's that there's a kind of subjective um, necessity to this experience and that that was the point all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think it's I think that's very accurate. I think that's. That's that's how we approach art generally, and I think this is a as a strong artistic statement. So yeah. I think that that lines up very nicely. Yeah, the idea that we uh, we bring our own pieces to the table when we when we view any piece of art, really, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think is 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 definitely important to the return because. Um, it was not a show that held your hand. It was not something that filled in the blanks about. Um, what happened in the past 25 years or even you know assumed that you'd watched fire walk with me and right. you, you'd seen all this stuff it was it was not there to um, make it easy for you yeah it was not there yeah exactly to make it easy for you and to tell you a story it was there to challenge you and to prompt you to do this thinking mm-hmm. um, and this theorizing and yeah I feel like that that is an integral part to just enjoying the series yes. is to say that I know this is going to be, uh, this is something that people, this is something that Frost and Lynch want us to do as part of watching, just just watching the series. Um, I said it in my my interview with Matt was that um, the people who just came out and said, I love the ending right away, like right after it was finished, uh, I was like, this is, this was perfect. I, I loved it in every way. I'm like, you really didn't get the ending then, I feel like. Yeah. The ending is supposed to hurt. The ending is supposed to have pulled you away from what you you were expecting for the last 16 and a half hours. Um, and I feel like if if you didn't go in there and feel that pain, you kind of missed part of what the ending was about. The ending was there to, to give you a hole in your chest uh, that you're supposed to come back and try and fill uh, by watching the series again and doing this theorizing. And you may never get to fill it. You, and that's, you that's, well. that's the comment on trauma because now we've been traumatized as part of the experience of watching this, mm-hmm. just like we were traumatized when we saw the ending of season two. Mm-hmm. And we have to grapple with that. We have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And some people will deal with it by shutting down and some people will never return to the series. But I think that I think it will be a very rewarding experience to go back and 
re-examine this in new lights. And as we come to the show with new experiences, you know, five years from now or 10 years from now um, or 50 years from now, you know, we'll be able to pull something new from it. And I think that is, I don't, I don't know if we, I mean, we made fun of other shows in our hot take episode, like friends or um, uh, how I met your mother, but I really, and I'm sorry for that because they're not terrible shows, but they're just different. They're, they don't don't expect you. No, they don't expect you to have to grapple with this or deal with this in any sort of meaningful way. It's pure entertainment. Shows like this, TV shows like this and movies like this force you to confront something and and it's deeply uncomfortable and it can be deeply traumatic and that's part of the experience of it. And I, I mean, some people have turned around and said, maybe this is too much. Maybe we need to respect our audiences more and, um, you know, give them, uh, better Better way wayfinding. Well, yeah, and 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 highlight these things and and telegraph them more clearly so that you you don't traumatize your audience. Which is, uh, you know, it's we we are in a culture now of trigger warnings and content warnings and um, yeah, but that's trying a, to protect yourself. <laughs> like this isn't like no, every... but it's but it but that's real enough for some people that I mean episodes like or sequences like Richard attacking oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sylvia um, did trigger people to have panic attacks and stuff so i mean that's very real to them and to your brain yeah. we don't we don't differentiate that but i think that's part of the point is that you know what we're seeing on screen whether it's real or a dream it, it the mind doesn't differentiate yeah and so we're put right in that position in watching it we can't differentiate and i think that's supposed to happen it's a very personal very subjective way of experiencing tv media that i can't think of any other yeah it's it, it it's happens exactly. in film yeah often, to an yeah. extent yeah. but but never on this scale 18 hours of it mm-hmm. and never with this kind of um potency i guess yeah. is the yeah. is the word yeah it's exactly what we were talking about earlier where this is this is the 18 hour film this is something that that pulled and pushed you yeah. in various ways emotionally. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really the level that it was working at. And that alone is incredible. But yes, uh, forcing us to to come back and, and analyze and work with those those feelings over and over again is interesting. And it's important to recognize that they are feelings and it's an emotional thing. You can in, um, intellectualize it and make it very cerebral. But I think that that you can miss the point of mm-hmm. that too, yeah. which is why um, I'm probably not going to rewatch any scenes from this for a while because I think it, it still needs time to percolate mm-hmm. and and then, but yeah, there, there. I think there's a danger in in being too cerebral about it, and maybe that's Cooper's problem. Maybe that's the same thing that he dealt with. He was always at his most successful when he was being intuitive and emotional and responding to things on a gut level, and. Uh, and when he starts to think too much, then he gets trapped in his yeah. own his own brain and uh, and trapped by his own logic. So um, maybe that's a message to all of us that we should be open to these emotional experiences yeah. Just and calling them, them as ex- calling them experiences and yeah. and experiencing them as experiences rather than as uh, something that should have a beginning, middle, and end and fit together neatly in a package with a bow on top. Which is something that a lot of people are struggling with. So to finish off, uh, 
just very briefly, um, just news about the DVD and Blu-ray release that um, will be coming out December 5th, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are upset about the the package art. The cover, yeah. The cover art. I don't mind best. it. I didn't I mean, think it's, it's great, but it's fine. I'm, I'm, I can it see why fits, they did it. If yeah. that, that might just be a mock-up. Maybe it'll be different when, yeah, it, when it comes out. Yeah. Who knows? But, um, but it's exciting. It'll be out by the holidays. So yep. um, We'll definitely be watching... Over Christmas, maybe over the Christmas holidays. We maybe can watch a, usually we do a, a Lord of the Rings marathon. Uh, marathon yeah. So with my family, so we'll see if that still happens. Yeah, it's only nine hours. That's short. Like that is really short. <laughs> penny, penny. Anyways, um, uh, season four news. Yes. Yeah, so David Lynch did come out. Uh, I don't know which who interviewed him, but he basically said, "Yeah, I'd be open to it," which he kind of said earlier as well. But yeah. he said, "You know, it took me three to four years to get." this done yeah you know they were they started writing it three or four years ago they have not started writing season four so the earliest we could see it is probably three or four years um so you know there's that <laughs> it's all it's always a possibility that this we, we always knew that going in that it was going to be open yeah that, that the door was not closed even though um we knew this was a limited series that yes. didn't mean that it that it was always going completely to completely finished i mean the the reality is though david lynch has held 74 now uh mark frost is in his late 60s i believe so i mean they're getting older not i mean they're they're not going to be around forever which is brings us to another sad part of the news yeah friday night we lost uh harry dean stanton um and that was a that was a blow to a lot of twin peaks fans who have been um watching who watched the return and loved everything us included everything that carl rod brought to the screen in his relatively short amount of time on screen yeah it wasn't that Um, much his story was expanded and his character was expanded, but um, just in terms of, of what he brought to the screen and what he still has left to bring to the screen, there's a film called Lucky that is still probably the final work that we'll see from him yeah. when it when it's released. So, um, But he adds his name to the list of, of people who We died. lost a yeah. lot of Twin Peaks, uh, the Twin Peaks family this year, yeah. and that's, um, it's it's hard to, to talk about a season four when, I mean... Miguel Ferrer is gone mm-hmm. and Warren Frost is gone. Harry Dean Stanton now is gone. We had we lost David Bowie. We lost Frank Catherine. Silva years ago. Yeah. Catherine Coulson. Um, these are these are big parts of the Twin Peaks universe. So, I mean, if if we get nothing more, these the return is is starting to look more and more like um, the end. Well, and and a very fitting end, and mm-hmm. and. I, you know, to call it a swan song feels very, dim- like it diminishes the impact of it. But these are like mini love letters that have been left on screen by these by these tremendous actors who have left us now. And they put so much into these characters, Don Davis, and mm-hmm. I mean, that we were given such fitting tributes to these characters on screen. Nothing more fitting than Carl Rod's... Um, iteration in the return mm-hmm. he's like a superhero yeah and he, he's got he's, that whistle that <laughs> the car mobile comes yeah. running out uh so it's it's a beautiful thing to see um the outpouring of support and love for these actors who have passed on and now the return will be memorializing them mm-hmm. forever yeah. and i think that is um you want to talk about success that's that's a pretty tremendous thing to be able to do 
Um, so if this is all we get, then that that is going to be remarkable, a remarkable way to finish off Twin Peaks. So, Lindsay, very final thoughts. We've yeah. gone through the whole series now, uh, the, the finale twice. Yeah. Um, how, do, how do you feel? I feel pretty good. I think we did a good job. Uh, I'm happy that I got to do this with you. Yeah. Um, I know we're not finished because we've got um, David Lynch's works to do. Um, at some point, up, yes, yeah. we have the book. At some point, we'd like to return to Twin Peaks and maybe look at it through... Um, a slightly different lens, but that probably won't be until uh, early 2018 through mid 2018, somewhere along there. Um, so, I mean, Bickering Peaks isn't going anywhere, but uh, this experience is coming to an end and it's nice. I feel like, like we, yeah. we accomplished something really cool. Here. Yeah. And we had, um, I had fun. I had a lot of fun, doing, fun this. doing this. It was stressful as hell. Yes, a lot of the time. But, <laughs> but we good. loved every minute of it. And, and, getting to meet all of you. I mean, we've said this so many times now. I think when we finished season two, we said this too. Um, it's been such an honor to do this, uh, to have the guests that we had on and to be able to meet so many people through this community, through Twitter and Facebook and um, getting the chance to talk about it every week is uh, something that I'm, I'm always going to cherish. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a pretty great ride. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Thank you all for listening. Really, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I can't believe anybody does listen, but thank yeah. you when you do. Um, we love being part of this community. Mm -hmm. it's, it's been a lot of fun. So, and we uh, hope that you guys will continue to to listen. Like we said, we want to convert as many of you into David Lynch fans as possible. So, uh, we hope that you'll join us when we start with. I think our first outing will be with Eraserhead. I thought we were going to do Inland Empire first. Why would we start at the end? We'll go back and forth. No, that's stupid. I think we'll go chronological. I don't want to watch my <laughs> again. Aiden uh, really, really doesn't like your I couldn't head. sleep for two days after that. I know. It was pretty bad living with you that period of time. We'll it was pretty bad living that period of time, okay? <laughs> We're starting with Eraserhead. Okay, okay, we can start fine. with the short films. Okay, sure. Compromise? No, on. let's bicker some more. Let's, let's end it on some bickering. <laughs> If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks, all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.